Good evening, everyone. It is the November 16th, 2021 Board of Selectmen meeting. The meeting is called to order as always. The meeting is being video recorded. Uh, we will begin by taking a moment of appreciation for our troops serving around the globe in defense of our country. Thank you. All right, uh, our first item uh, is the discussion of the elementary school and a potential vote uh, on withdrawal of the statement of interest in the MSBA and then to authorize the signing of a withdrawal certification from the MSBA. So Pete, Gus, I'll throw it out to each of you for comment, reaction, thoughts, emotions, feelings, diatribes, whatever, whatever you'd like. Pete? Well, uh, we seem to be uh, not very far along apparently, so in terms of getting a new school for the kids in town, so I'm not quite sure which way the people that are leading our us on this are, are gonna look to go next, but uh, um, it's a shame if we have to start over. Um, I'm not quite sure what the vote means in terms of the pleasure of our residents. I know that there are lots of people that voted against it because they don't want any more taxes. So I think that group of uh, voters would vote against any new school. It's clear that there are a lot of people that don't want the school at Wheelock. Um, and I heard from some people that just didn't want a school that was that large. So I think of that as the, uh, the people that didn't maybe hear all of the reasons why it's that large. Um, I was sort of thinking that we were gonna be hearing back from the school building committee and the schools as to what they wanted to do next. Where they're sort of the ones in charge of uh, the process. Well, I, I did speak with Mike Quinlan today. I mean, they, they spoke to the MSBA, and that's why the agenda item is the withdrawal from the MSBA process at this point. There's not a, um, you know, there's not an option to stay in. So I think that's formalizing that. I think obviously then we'll decide what to do next. But Gus, do you have thoughts? Uh, uh, yeah, I do. Um, first off, before I even started my thoughts about this meeting, I want to, I want to just acknowledge the building committee. Uh, citizens in the town that were organized, citizens in the town that weren't organized, voices at the, at the town meeting. This was a big project and it was drawn out for a long time. And uh, it didn't turn out where we thought it would turn out. But to be honest with you, there was a lot of people put a lot of time and a lot of effort into, into this project. Uh, and I just want to acknowledge there's a lot of effort that's been put into this. It did not all work out the way we thought or the way we'd hoped, I guess. Uh, but that should in no way detract from the effort, uh, the time. And, and Mike, I'll, you, you were on the building committee. So on behalf of me, at least, I'll acknowledge your efforts in this as well. But uh, something like this isn't easy to do. And it's complicated. And it's not particularly simple to figure out how to orchestrate it. We had discussions here on the bill on our own board trying to gaze into our respective crystal balls and nobody knew for sure and now we are gazing again and I guess we don't really know for sure even now. I, ha I have some thoughts uh, and these are all offered in the spirit of ideas not positions. Uh, the, the first one is, I'm assuming at this point, I'm not assuming, but I'm suspecting at this point that the project, which was the MSBA project, is dead uh, and that there's not any path we're going to follow to try to resuscitate that and bring it back. So that's the first point. 
uh, I think that's, especially when I saw the revised yes. agenda, yeah. that certainly seemed like uh, where we were going. Yes. The, sec the second point, um, because of how this unfolded, where I've come, I'm trying to picture the, the, the path forward. And so I'm going to put, put something out there for reactions either now or later. I think where we're headed is we are going to put a school in on the Dale Street site. Uh, there's a reason why I'm at least putting that out there to see if that's, if that is a sense of, I actually don't think it's just our sense. I think this is, I think we need to involve the school committee, the superintendent and others in this anyway. But for my, for my part, uh, Pete, to your, you know, your, your comments, I, there are maybe some people who just won't put any money into a school. That's possible. I think there's a group of people who didn't want to put this much money into a school. I think there are some people who, and, and they may have more than one of these things. There's some people that had issues around, whether it's the, the water, whether it's the traffic. There's a whole bunch of other peripheral reasons that people may or may not have had on their mind in particular. Uh, and I think there's a group of people that wanted the Dale Street School because what the Dale Street School represents to the town, what it's meant for, there's a history, there's, you know, there's certainly location meant something to some people. In talking with a couple people and in listening to the town meeting and the video of that, the Dale Street School for many people represents something and it's not a practical issue uh if you drive around the dale street area and you look at the signs that are there a lot of people saying put the school here where i live i think that's driven off of uh, of a of the role that the dale street school has played in medfield and in people's interest to keep medfield the kind of town that it's always been to make sure it's it's that again so i'll put that out there that i actually think given how this has all unfolded uh, if we have agreement, and, and I'm not just talking about with the three of us, I, I do think the school committee uh, and the superintendent, and in fact, in some ways, maybe it's more important for the schools to agree, but I'll at least put it out on the table that I think as we think about this, we need to think about this as a project to replace the Dale Street School on the Dale Street site. So that's open for a debate. It's just a stake I put in the ground. If we do that, then I think not only is the current project dead, but I think we're also making a decision that any new project will be carried forward without MSBA involvement. Uh, there are a couple reasons for that because some of the some of the requirements that the MSBA would have from a from a design standpoint might make it harder for us to find a school that would be ideal on the Dale Street site, uh, and also. I'm assuming if we were to go back through the MSBA process, we would have to go through that same sort of a sequence of site selection and all that. And the whole reason I'm putting out the Dale Street site is I actually would like to see the town avoid going through that discussion a second time. Uh, so that's a third point. Uh, fourth point, oh yeah, the fourth point just for Planning purposes, this is maybe not true, but as I as we think about what to do, it seems to me, in my head, I'm just putting us against just a, a thought that we should think about this as a, in a five-year planning window. So if we do this again, what we're, what we're kind of thinking about is that we would have a project underway at the, by five years from now. And whether it's complete, it could be underway in three years. I'm not saying it couldn't be, but where, where I'm taking it, 
is I think we're going to have to deal with an issue around funding deferred maintenance on Dale Street to keep Dale Street functional and safe and clean and effective for whatever that planning window is. So to decide what deferred maintenance is the deferred maintenance we should be taking on, you kind of need to know what your planning window is because that's going to tell you what's inside or outside the bucket. That's about as far as my thinking has gone in the less than 24 hours that I've had to think about. And all, and all of those points are up for grabs. It's just that's sort of the framework I, I wound up with. Okay. So I guess, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all fair. I mean, I think my original, and I've, I've given it more than 24 hours of thought because I certainly anticipated this was a possible outcome. Um, you know, I think there's kind of two pieces of it. There's the substance of it, which I think you've covered in the process of it. Mm -hmm. And I think... Um, we got to attend to both. I mean, obviously, I think if we agree that we're going to withdraw the um, withdraw the statement of interest tonight, we should should also dissolve the existing building committee. Um, and so we've got to resolve the question of what is the next committee going to be, who's going to be on it, how's it going to be constituted, who's going to appoint it, what, what's their assignment going to be. And I think I would make the assignment a little broader than you've suggested in the sense that you know, certainly there's not going to, we're not going to look at building a new school on Elm Street. I think that probably is not something that's going to happen in the, um, the near term. Um, but I might leave the remit a little broader um, and look at what the options would be for, um, for replacing the Dale Street School, either with a new school there or with other options that might work at the existing location. So I think I'd be a little bit less prescriptive up front about what was involved. Um, and obviously the school committee has got deliberations and things to think about because there are, you know, there are, there, throughout the whole process, there were, um, you know, there's competing desires, competing requests, even from an educational standpoint. I mean, one of the big, um, sort of the big changes that happened in the course of the project was the school committee going from their preference for a three to five school to a, um, to, to a two grade school, right? And I think one of the things that the school committee will have to decide is how important is that in the planning process? And while that won't necessarily drive it, but it would be an input saying if they were to say our, pri our priority is to have grades three to five together, mm -hmm. then you the building committee would look at it and say, well, okay, if that's the priority to do that, what's the best way to achieve that from a capital standpoint? If that's what's going to could it be what's going to drive the educational piece of it. It could be something else that would drive it, right? I mean, that's you know, that that's ultimately a school committee decision. It would be for the next building committee to kind of resolve the competing interests and the competing concerns that people have to put something together that hopefully would would have a smoother um, path than this one. So I think we all ought to give some thought to um, Mike, can I? I'm not that sure I understand what be. that meant. Okay. And when you and I'm not pushing back. I just yeah. honestly don't understand. When you said it, you had a broader remit. Is the broader remit around location? Is it around that we might do something at Dale, but also do something at Wheelock in order to meet a configuration? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Know. I just mean instead of just saying go build the best new school you can on this one site, um, to ask the question of how do you best replace this building and it may it may be that we decide that the most cost effective thing to do is is to put money into the existing building maybe decide it's a, a complete additional renovation it may be a new school it may be you know in addition to one of the other schools who knows what it would be i'm just saying in terms of what the cost effective option is going to be if we're not kind of tied to sort of the msba approach of okay we're replacing one school with one school um we can at least get full input and consideration and discussion about what those other options might be if you're not kind of in that 
you know, where we have been since we were accepted into the program, which is okay, you're picking one school to replace one school. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is replace this space. And it may be that that one for one is the way to go. Um, but, you know, obviously I've, I've expressed my view throughout the process that I think having three elementary schools is inefficient um, given how expensive they are and the administration and all that kind of stuff. And no one may agree with that, but I think it should at least be something that's considered in the process that we're not just going to say, just go pick a school in this place and then foreclose other options that might be more cost effective. Because obviously cost is going to be a very big issue. And I'll, I'll give you one close one second. So, so there's one thing you said, and then you can come right in, Leah. You know, the, the issue, okay. Okay, the, 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 I, there is a piece there that for sure I agree with, which is, now I'm still working off what I said. So I'm saying, well, there's a school here, but if there's a school at Dale, if, then the scheme for the school at Wheelock combined with the Wheelock school is not the scheme anymore. But part of this whole thing, one thing that I actually think in the tail end of our discussion even in the positive report of the warrant committee at the town meeting was a fuzziness. It's like, in other words, we're going to build a new school. And then 20 years from now, when we have to do Wheelock, then maybe we'll have a single school or, you know, it's like, maybe this is, maybe this is three grades. Maybe it's not three grades. Maybe it's two grades because of the enrollment. And it was like, as I was listening to it, it's like, we actually don't have a clear idea of what we are actually trying to do. So not that I'm asking for it tonight, but what I'm saying is given the circumstances, I think the school should be given a chance to step back and say, okay, if we now look 20 or 30 years into the future, this configuration we would like, given, given timing, sequence, scope, and nature of what we are likely to be able to do with buildings is where we would drive for is you know, I don't know, K, K through one and Memorial two and three, you know, I, I don't know what the answer to that all is, but here's at some point here, it would be make more sense if we have to work with whatever it is we decide we're going to work with, we would think about organizing our school this way, as opposed to, to your point, as opposed to making single school incremental changes and then saying, we hope maybe if we do that, then this other thing will work out 20 years from now. It's like, maybe if we had a little clear idea where we're trying to get to overall, um, it would probably do a better, it might actually be more compelling to sell school, the schools for one thing. Uh, I know it would help me truly evaluate why are we doing what we're doing when we're doing it? Because I'll see how it fits into a bigger picture. So not looking for the answer. I just think that's a question. And that's a question that the schools should be allowed to answer. Uh, well, I think I can speak to. Can we get a microphone? I'll start with yours, Gus. Um, uh, I think that the idea that about the what the 20 years from now was the flexibility and i think that some of that came from uh, mr Marcucci throughout the course of this you know because we didn't get the three grade school to the ultimate idea was to create the campus model right so to limit the transitions and allow staff to follow students up you know in consecutive grades right to provide those those supports that are needed and it's very hard to do when they're physically separated away from those campuses which is why one of the reasons that you know, if we kept Memorial K-1, putting a 4-5 at the Dale site didn't work. 
but under the now I'll, I'll kind of revert back. That's the short version of that. I'll revert back to what I think uh, Mr. Marcucci was recommending that maybe with a full analysis, and this could be done with a, uh, an additional feasibility study, a town-wide feasibility study, not just on a particular building, mm -hmm. which is what's done through. Um, and I hate to reflect on my time and Sharon, but that's what we did do. We did do a town-wide feasibility study on all the buildings uh, when we did it um, some 20 years ago, and it mapped out. You know the sequence that we were you know to do, and now ultimately doing the new high school. Now you know, it took that long. Um, so what I think I'm hearing, Mr. Kuchi said, the outcome might be that maybe it is a shift in the buildings, and perhaps multiple changes at the buildings that this plan changes for, where it keeps existing structures but updates them uh, and adds to them, renovates them to accordingly meet the needs and create the model, the best model we can with the spaces that we have today. So perhaps it is a, you know, a K through three on this on the current Memorial Dale site, or a K through something, or maybe pre K and K go to Wheelock and something happens at Memorial. I don't know, like whatever that could be. I think that's what, and you might be to recognize. Yeah, it was more that. on a process point in the sense yeah. of being less prescriptive instead of mm -hmm. telling the community yeah. your instead job is to, look, your job is to build the cheapest building at Dale Street that the. <laughs> the school can live with mm -hmm. have a little yeah. broader broader um, a, a little broader agenda and I, I I would hope we could do it sooner than five years right I mean we've we've done a lot of work we've done a lot of research um, we've got I a lot of people I interested stop. I guess uh, I gotta stop you here um, one of the reasons I think this project failed is because we didn't do a good enough job of figuring out how to initiate and maintain an ongoing dialogue with the people in town uh and and the reason i stopped you mike is because i feel like that's a discussion that's also almost a very technical we're going to figure out what we need to do and i think that there's a piece of this i don't know what the answer is and i don't discount any of the the goals the aspirations or the rationales for why the schools would like to configure things in a certain way but what i'm saying is that feasibility study there is i think that would be good but I think there has to be a, a, a parallel dialogue with people that picks up not just on pure economics, not even just on pure education philosophy right now, but also allows the input from people here in town to somehow or another feed their, their loyal, I don't know what to call it, their loyalty, their commitment, their, their view of what the town is into that mix and i and i yeah, think i, mean, I, I think just that's what like i think we didn't do a good enough job yeah i think that's what the next building committee would do that would be that would be in that process hope would be an inter, you know would not be a prescriptive process right so and, and um, that would be fine the only thing i well then that means there's certain kinds of people that are on that building building committee the only the thing i wrestle with mike and i'm i'm not staking out positions here i wonder sometimes whether that building committee will need to have a clearer definition of the town's intent so that when it creates a school, it has that input around the town's intent. And it gets that as an input. You know, here's what you have to be thinking about. And some of these things aren't classic education philosophy. They're not even, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the cost guy. They're not even necessarily the absolute most cost effective. Um, it's that people care about something here and we don't wanna lose this essential element of what Medfield's about. Having a way for that conversation to get itself into this discussion early, I think will set the, that next building committee up for success. If that building committee has 
people with those skills and perspectives, maybe it can be done inside the building committee. Yeah, I think that's the idea. It might be if, that, it, yeah. if it can, but yeah. that's not, that. It, it's not just a mechanical process. Oh, no, yeah. I think I echo both of your sentiments in that process, I guess. Um, probably thinking like Mike might be thinking on the sense of there has been a lot of work done around that particular site. And there was a lot of sketches and a lot of research done around the Dale Street site as part of the study. Um, the longer you wait, the more it ages and it has to be done again, I guess. And so building on the momentum of um, trying to have a positive outcome, you know, from, you know, the, the town, this process the town just went through, could be, you know, okay, now we know everyone's more invested than before. Um, and we don't have to contend with COVID as much, you know, knock on wood. Um, you know, it might be, it might be worthwhile to take advantage of that momentum to gain that input since people seem like they want to have a lot of input. So um, yeah. regardless of, you know, whether it's education related or not or historically related, so. I, I did have one other thought on that point is whether it would make sense for the school committee and the, at least the board of selectmen and school committee, and I was wrestling whether warrant committee needs to be in on this, but whether we should just hold a joint public hearing to, to, to let, you know, we, we could have this kind of a discussion within more than 24 hours to distill it uh, and then open it up to the people that have things that they want to say. We're not over-engineering it. We're not expecting a specification for building coming out of it, but just to have that hearing, uh, it's partly for us to have a joint discussion, but partly to let people react, provide inputs, uh, just so we all have our heads screwed on straight. Like a high school auditorium type yeah. forum thing. I agree. Yeah. Anybody else? Uh, anybody think we should not withdraw our statement of interest? <laughs> Do that. I mean, I think we have to have further discussion and. I do think we should not lose sight of the need to develop a process that's going to be kind of broadly acceptable to people. I, I think what you're driving at should be done under the auspices of the subsequent building committee because it can have a, a broader charter than what you know an MSBA charter mm -hmm. committee you know has. Um, and so we so, just have to be thoughtful about who's on it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it'd have to be a mix of people um, and hopefully engaging people on both sides of this uh, most recent issue. Yeah, no, so, yeah. Elaine, yeah. you have the so, microphone. Yeah, I do. It does. All right. Yes, first, I do. First and probably the last 30 speakers. That <laughs> so I think Eileen Murphy, just to introduce myself here, and uh, Gus, I appreciate what you're saying, and I think that if we could get a forum together, um, the, the something that I read today that, that, that bothered me, and I said this to Mike when I first walked in, is I'm reading that um, there's, there's an impression from the superintendent that this town passed on and we don't want a new school. I will sit here emphatically and say we absolutely want a new school that it, many letters to the editor clearly stated, and I'll say one of them, that I want a new school. I really did not want the location. All right? then, and I happened to go back and read the 2018 warrant today just to refresh myself. And I think part of the confusion, and there was no ill intent. Nobody, everyone worked their ass off. We all, you know, we've said that many a times. But the warrant article clearly stressed it was going to be Dale, the replacement, or re, re, uh, reno, or, or demo. If it was thought of at that time, it could have been somewhere else. I think it would have opened a dialogue from day one. And when it got brought to the point where, and, and you know, Mike, you, you triggered me at, at town meeting, good, bad, or indifferent in May. When I got, I found out that time out, we weren't going to be talking about this anymore. There was no more discussion to be had. That struck a, a core with me that, you know, that's not what this town's about. So I'm so happy to hear you say, let's bring everyone together because we're all in this together. And this, you know, hopefully starting getting out of bed this morning, there is no divide in this town that we are in this together. This is about families, 
I don't even have kids, right? So I'm I I'm not trying to 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 pick on any school or any superintendent or any teacher. I want this to be a community where we can walk down the street and everyone's in this together. And we tried to do that. Even yesterday with the yeses and the noes, we're having fun because at the end of the day, it's about the town showing up the way they did in a record number. So I applaud the town. And nothing. Microphone, anyone? <laughs> and a couple of folks, just for the folks on Zoom, um, I'll take a couple of, I see one hand raised, Lester Cohen has his hand raised, I'll, say, I'll hear from Lester, and then, that, then we'll close discussion on this point, and we'll vote, and we'll move on uh, to the next agenda item. This will obviously be on the next um, agenda when we meet, and there'll be further discussions to be had. So if we could promote Lester, Nick. I'm assuming you must be promoted, or you can also do a Q&A, Lester. It's up to you. Let's see. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, hi, Lester. Uh, hi, thank you. Thank you for taking my question. Um, I, I think a lot of people underestimated the effect of what I considered was the lack of communication between the different sites, whether it's the Dell Street or the Elm Street. I also think, which was brought up a little bit earlier by Gus, that the, the scope of the school that was proposed seemed to me and to other people to be way oversized compared to where a lot of people think it needs to be. And the more input that you can get from the community, in fact, I, I would suggest that perhaps you know, at town elections, uh, once a year, you have some non-binding questions that are on the ballot to see what people would accept. I mean, there certainly may be people that would accept no increase in access for schools. I'm not one of them. I certainly think it, it's worthwhile, but not something that's almost 50% overscoped. And the more communications you have with the town, the more communications that the school community has with the town, and and not just in meetings, because you know at the, at the uh, meeting at the high school, when almost two thirds of the people said yes, at the town election, where where twice as many people showed up, more than fifty percent said no. So you really have to get a better understanding of where the town is. Thank you. Thank you, Lester. Appreciated. All right, so I think we have three votes then. Uh, vote to sign a letter to the MSBA withdrawing the statement of interests. Uh, vote to authorize, I think I sign it, the withdrawal certification, and then vote to dissolve the school building committee effective, I think, at the end of their meeting tomorrow. I don't think we want to dissolve the committee before it meets again. But So, Mike, what is the position of the superintendent and the school committee on these issues? Um, the position of the superintendent is he wants us to sign the withdrawal as well. So does Mike Quinlan. They just don't see a MSBA path forward. They spoke to the MSBA today. Okay. So, um, Mike, as far as and the control. reason the reason we're adding this is that we want to get on their December fifteenth board meeting for withdrawal. The next board meeting is not till March. So, um, Mike, uh, as far as the building committee dissolving the building committee goes, um, is there any? I guess potential would be a better word than advantage. Uh, is there any potential for the building committee to give us to not dissolve quite so quickly in order to meet? Well, we're going to meet tomorrow. Okay. We're going to meet tomorrow to provide a final word. Whether okay. So that's whatever okay. you're looking you're for from the building word. committee, you have to get it tomorrow. Because dissolution or not, I'm not sure you're going to get us back together again. So. 
Well, after that, that answers my question. Okay, all right, got it. I mean, if it's a command performance for you guys, so we, we can do it. But no, um, no, I think no, that was the, not, the suggestion. Not, but oh, okay. So is the is the two things, um, maybe three things. One would be if you if you're going to get all the final word from the building committee tomorrow in their meeting. That was the first thing I had. What advice do you have for us? You went through this, you worked hard. It didn't work out. Part of me wants to make sure the building committee understands that at least I think speaking for, probably for more than me, uh, abs that I absolutely recognize and respect and appreciate the effort of the building committee. So part of me is saying, well, yeah, <laughs> booting them out the door <laughs> a day after a work like for me seems a little extreme. But the real point. I don't think you're going to get any objection. Anybody? <laughs> I'm, I'm still not. I mean, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, you can bring popsicles by tomorrow night if you'd like. That's <laughs> always in the next nope. way. <laughs> nope, that's not what I want. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. Okay. So that was yeah, that, I, that was the two other questions. Any other questions? Nope. No. Okay. So, Mike, that was one of my questions too. Is is the members of the school building committee asking to dissolve? They don't want to continue serving. Is that what? Well, I hearing? think the idea is we're obviously not going to move forward with the same committee, and it's better to just you know not have reconstitute still the committee. Yeah, I mean, I think just then we'll reconstitute a future committee at some point. I mean, I mean, it doesn't act, it doesn't like kick us out of town. Like we'll all be available for you know right. future consultation as as needed. Um, it's more a formal and consistent with our policy adopted in 2017, Gus, of dissolving committees once they're. Utility is no longer needed. It feels <laughs> like we're, we're out the door. Yeah, yeah. I, well. I, I would not want to violate any of our policies. Yeah. We only have a few. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right, Gus, do you want to start with a motion uh, to yeah. vote to sign a letter to the MSBA withdrawing the statement of interest? Yes, I move that we sign a letter to the MSBA withdraw, uh, indicating that we are withdrawing our statement of interest Second. in building a new school. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? All right, next uh, vote to authorize, I think it's authorized me, but me or any other person, if not me, authorized to sign the withdrawal certification, which I think it will, comes back to us from them. So this is us authorizing the chair to sign? Sign a okay. withdrawal certification, okay. which is their response to our letter. Okay, I move that we authorize the chair to sign the withdrawal certification with the MSBA. Second. All in favor? Aye. Yep. All right, and then a motion to Dissolve the Dale Street School Building Committee effective as of the conclusion of its meeting tomorrow night. Okay, uh, I move that we dissolve this, the uh, <laughs> Dale Street uh, Building Committee effective at the conclusion of their meeting tomorrow night. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? No. All right, that's done with that. Um, I, there are some questions here in the chat which I'll get to over the course of the night. Or actually, for, for those of you who have questions in the chat about responsibility for the physical plan of Dale and and, um, uh, and, and the like, I'd, I'd suggest emailing, um, email the school committee or email the superintendent about that. And then we did discuss briefly about the process for forming a new committee. I think there's general consensus we'll have to do that and we'll have discussions over the course of the next few weeks about the best process forward. So I think that answers those questions. Are we in we, would we move ahead with a public hearing without, we don't need a committee to be formed to have that public we hearing. We can have so the public, yeah, I think the school committee is meeting Thursday? Thursday. Thursday. So 
Um, I think the Warrant Committee has declared they're not engaging in any town activities until January, but if- That is true. If, if, they, if they wanted to participate, they are welcome, but I, I might- Wait a minute, this is the start of their busy season. <laughs> so they so they were all told and they agreed to, to do it. So all right. Next, um, facilities director Amy Colloran requests uh, us to vote to authorize twenty five thousand dollars. Oh, can I ask one question? I'm, I'm sorry, sure. I'm slow. Well, we're now on to the boiler repair at Blake Middle School, Mr. Potts. Um, is it, is it relating it. to that issue, Mr. No, I, I didn't get the mic fast yes. enough. Unless you, you may ask one, you may ask one question. Uh, Jerry Potts, Seven Curve Street. Um, on that forum, if we could just, the discussion about the school building committee and the constitution of that and potential bylaw, is that something we could add to the agenda of that forum? Sure, yeah. Okay, yeah. just wanted to. Yep. And I have a follow-up question on that. Given we are developing a school on our own, not under the MSBA, are we bound by? So we may follow it just because that's the procedure, but we're not actually bound by having to do that. Just to, to follow up on no, your we're not bound by the ME, okay. MSBA rule no. for not doing it. Right. Yeah. So okay. I mean, I, I you know I think it's unlikely that that we would conclude to do it, but that's something the committee yeah. would consider too. Okay. Do we even want to reapply to the MSBA? But right. all right, uh, facilities director Amy Colloran requests vote to authorize twenty five thousand dollars from the emergency repair fund for repairs to the boiler at Blake Middle School. Any questions? I saw that. I saw in the email that they've already given away two thirds of whatever this part is that they're replacing. Yes. And we they're holding it first for a week. For a week. Yeah. Um, and when you were, if you remember, Amy was in um, about a year ago, and we were discussing the replacement of this boiler. We knew that this could be an option because we were running that one that we would have to right. replace this one. So. Okay. Any questions, Pete? Nope. Gus? Yes, is it 25,000 or 30,000? Because Amy's thing talked about 25,000 plus 5,000 for miscellaneous expenses. Uh, her email was she has a quote for 20,000. She was asking for a total of 25,000. Oh, she's a good negotiator. Cover any unforeseen circumstances. Okay. All right, good. Uh, let's see, ready? Yep. I move that we authorize uh, $25,000 from the emergency repair fund for repairs to the boiler at the Blake Middle School. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? All right. And then the next is a request for me to sign the Green Community's annual report. So this is the, this was in the packet. This is the annual report on the projects that have been um, undertaken in recent years and projected to take place over the next couple of years with Green Community's funding, as well as other um, various criteria that we have to report on on an annual basis to the state to maintain our Green Community status. Had very um, specific instructions on this form. Yes, and it took a, quite an effort to get it into a format to yeah. get in the packet. So, it's not do you the know most if they, they load this into some sort of database? Like, why they do it this way? Well, they they must load it into some sort of database. Yeah. I, think it, and I think it all gets up into the state, right. and somebody gets credit for what we're doing and yeah. what they're doing to help us do what we're doing. And this was thanks to Amy and to Susan McPhee. Yes, they've been working on working this, and probably Nick as well, and the energy. And the Energy Committee. So thank you to the Energy Committee, Amy, Susan McPhee. Any questions, Pete? No. Yes. Are you going to read it before you sign it? The I've already read it. Good. Okay. I've so already read public, it. I, public I did notice. service announcement. This thing is a really bureaucratic form, but uh, what, two years ago when I was asked to sign it, 
I was asked to sign the cover sheet. I said I wouldn't do it without reading this this green annual report. It's really terrible format, but for anybody who has any interest in what the Energy Committee has been doing to help the town, it's worth. And I think you can get it on the Energy Committee website. I know it's there. Um, it's it's dry reading, but. You might want to read it because there's a heck of a lot that's gone on over the last couple of years to try to improve things. Uh, so I was glad I said I wouldn't sign the cover sheet without reading it. I had to read it like in 24 hours, and I was glad that I did. So if anybody cares about energy, it's worth taking the time to read it through at least once. So you know what we do. Well, and this is the big benefit of, of being a green community. You get these hundred thousand, multi-hundred-thousand-dollar grants from the uh, DO. That's yeah, big bucks. All right, motion. I move that we, I get my glasses on to read what our motion is here. I, get, I move that we authorize the chair to sign the Green Community's annual report. Second. All in favor? Yep. Aye. Aye. Opposed? None. All right, next, request from town planner Sarah Raposa asking us to approve a contract with TetraTech <laughs> for stormwater engineering consulting peer review services for the Board of Health. Christina, Nick, anything? Yeah, so we had done a solicitation for, to replace our former um, peer review, uh, which was EBI, um, and TetraTech was deemed to be the most qualified, and their uh, hourly rates were competitive. Anything else? Any questions, comments, Pete? This is all getting paid by the uh, by the applicants. It looks like so. Correct. We're so that's, good with that's why the cost is TBD, because that was my question, is the cost is TBD. <laughs> you, should, you should have a, a cost sheet at there your... Was, there wasn't a cost sheet. No. Uh, we printed one out. should be at your... Oh, I think I have all of them. Right. I have all. On the cover sheet, I wrote TBD because it's on a case-by-case case basis based on the scope of the application that is formed by the applicant to the Board of Health at that time. So it's, it's TBD because it's zero to the town. It's zero to the right. town. Okay, that, that would be the important question I, ha yes. I have. Okay. No expense to us. Bill, Bill's got a question. If you... uh, just a couple of things. Bill uh, Massaro, uh, 36 Evergreen Way. Um, is this the cover sheet? Looks like it's a new a new form that you've. I haven't seen. Don't remember seeing it before in the data package. Was it in there before? So the, the cover sheet, sheet. The contract cover sheet. Yeah, we've had them in there before. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. We're trying to make it easier for people to read what the contracts are on a summary basis. I thought it was nice. I, one of the things you might put in there is whether it was a, sometimes whether it was a competitive bid or not a competitive bid or whatever. That would be something worth looking at. I mean, I, you know, that's what I used to do for a living. Right? So it looks good to see that whether and if it's like under twenty five thousand dollars or whatever the right number is, you know, you can just make a note there. I think that would be interesting to read about. Uh, I think this is probably a good thing and I think it's well timed because stormwater management is going to be a big issue uh, at the hospital. So I mean that the now I don't know if it, your contract will still be there but I notice you have options. Yeah, this is not one a your options. Board of Health always has yeah. uh, peer review um, so, on staff throughout. So I think it's very timely. So Anything else? No. All right. Yes. All right. I move that we uh, approve the contract with TetraTech for stormwater engineering consulting peer review services for the Board of Health. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? All right. Next is a contract with uh, Brovitz Community Planning and Design for planning and zoning consulting services for open space, residential zoning, and mixed use. This was one. We got a grant for this, right? Yes. You just accepted the grant award at the last meeting. All right. $50,000 grant, $50,000 yes. contract. And I noticed these snuck in $5,000 for a sidewalk in there. 
We're looking at it. Nice. Very good. To design a sidewalk, not to build a sidewalk, $5,000 will get you about three feet of sidewalk. Um, and we'll have a question on that. Again, Bill Massaro again. Um, I, in the proposal from uh, Brovitz, um, they made reference to what they, I'm quoting here, the recently enacted townwide master plan. And I mean, I'm, did I miss something? Was it, has it been enacted? The planning has. board approved the townwide. And that was the enactment? Okay. All right. So the, uh, my the, board of, the board of selectmen didn't act on it one way or the other because it's not our bailiwick. Just curious. I just curious. I mean, I, I mean, I, I did see that the planning board had approved it. I wasn't sure what that yep. meant for the whole town. Uh, my my other question is, I understand that what task two is, which is essentially the basis of the grant, which says we're going to improve the 109 corridor. Uh, I'm not sure about task one, which is. Uh, residential open space and changing that. It, w was that just for the corridor or is that for the rest of the town? Sarah, can you speak to that please? Sure. Oh, hi Sarah. Yep. Hi. <laughs> um, so actually it's pretty interesting um, because I was gonna talk about open space residential uh, subdivisions tonight as part of the roads uh, discussion. But essentially Medfield adopted an open space residential development uh, zoning article uh, in the 80s and it was used four times and the last time it was used was in the early 90s so um, it's time to update modernize um, that cluster zoning um, something that um, a more recent more modern um, model bylaw would be known as natural resources protection zone so there's options to update that and maybe make it actually a little bit more usable. I, I was just noticing though, like for example, like some of that talks about like, for example, a requirement for 25% open and all that's all going to be changed. Is there gonna be ultimately be a, 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 a public review or a planning board review of what the changes are physically or? Oh, for sure. So it's just a concept at this point to try to get some, um, some actual work done on the changes that are coming through this um, preparing and to react to. So it's quite a long process. It won't be um, at town meeting this coming year for sure. Okay, thank you. All right. Pete, anything else on this? No. Yeah, Sarah, uh, I had actually two questions for you. And, and what I did is I went through all my records and I pulled out the uh, rapid recovery plan. We have we have the master plan. Uh, we have the housing plan. And when I looked at the scope for this, particularly around the corridor, and I went to the rapid recovery plan, it seemed like we've had a number of consultants that have all sort of looked at this, you know, that 109 issue. And I, this is probably a dumb question, but I get to do that a couple times in every meeting. This would be one of them. Uh, how does this particular piece of work relate to like that rapid recovery plan, relate to our master plan? How, how does it plug in and is it, I couldn't tell whether it was actually doing work that's new or whether it was doing work that's almost a repeat of what some other consultants have already done in some of the stuff that it's called out. Yeah, so the concepts are called out similarly, but the uh, it's, it's an actual implementation of um, action items in the master plan implementation table. So I don't know if you probably um, don't recall 
the grant application, we actually took um, strategies right from that implementation plan um, to develop the yeah. code for so I think, so I think the OSRD stuff is also in the rapid recovery. I'm just trying to understand how these things all connect. So I'm not, not fighting any well, of it. I just, I just looked yeah. at it and said, how do these things relate? Yeah. So um, I would say that the rapid recovery, not so much by uh, what you're seeing there for that planning, but definitely master plan and definitely housing production plans stuff. Okay. So, so those things kind of been on online for a little while. Um, with the rapid recovery planning, you definitely want to have more um, life and bodies and people around uh, downtown. So um, I wouldn't say that's a rapid implementation, but um, it definitely fulfills a couple other overarching goals. Okay, I, I guess intuitively for me, those things connect in the sense that if you want to draw people to downtown, then the the mixed use type stuff that we're talking about here seems to support that, and maybe even some of the uh, residential stuff gets them to live downtown, so that they probably walk downtown. I, I just I was just looking to understand the coherence across all the things we've looked at. That's all. The planning board actually has a list of you know personal and you know, board initiatives that they were looking at, and you know, updating the mixed-use zoning has been on that list for a really long time. So some of the things maybe from these uh, more recent planning documents um, aren't actually new ideas. Um, you know, there are definitely things that have been kicked around for a little while. But, you know, when do we ever have the opportunity to get a grant to get some, you know, planning work done? So um, some of these things, even though they don't coalesce, <coughs> Perfectly. Yep. Um, they're all things that we've been, the planning board's been wanting to do. The, um, the other thing that we got the grant for, but we, don't, we didn't get the contract in your packet in time, um, was for the zoning diagnostic, which was mm -hmm. also um, found in the master plan. Okay. Thanks. Sarah, could you share that to do list with us? Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's uh, yes, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Anything else? Good. All right. Motion. I move that we approve the contract with Brovitz Community Planning and Design for Planning and Zoning Consulting Services for Open Space Residential Zoning and Mixed Use Zoning. Second. Uh, All in favor? Aye. Yep. Opposed? All right. Thanks. say that if we paid people to design the sidewalk on every street where people would like a sidewalk, it would probably cost more than the next school would to, to do that, given if the, yeah, really <laughs> the desire for sidewalks that would come, yeah. 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 People like sidewalks. All right. Um, speaking of sidewalks or quasi-like sidewalk um, things, private ways, Mo. Thank you, Sarah. Well, don't go anywhere, Sarah. <laughs> They're staying for this trip. Oh, you're staying for private ways as well. So um, do you want to give us a little background here? I know this is something you and I have talked about yeah. a lot um, and uh, another thing we hear about a lot. So so uh, with, with Sarah and I, we kind of want to open a discussion uh, with the selectmen to discuss private roads, um, where they came from, 
how decisions were made in the past, uh, some of the history behind it, um, and kind of get into the process of acceptance. Um, the reasons why we have standards and our subdivision rules and regs. And, you know, um, I don't think we're looking for to make any decisions on anything tonight, just to kind of clarify things and to uh, kind of discuss what these processes are and how, you know, what we're, what we're thinking. So I know Sarah's got a little bit of a um, little presentation that she wanted to do. You still doing that, Sarah? Yeah, we're gonna turn it up on my screen now. Okay, so um, I know you received a request for um, consideration for uh, rhododendron, um, some streets at Hawthorne Estates and at Bridal Field. So I just wanted to give a little bit of a primer on roads. <coughs> Massachusetts laws and the associated case law is plentiful. Um, so I guess the moral here is there's no one answer for a variety of situations. Um, so I just wanted to put together a few bits of information about those particular streets that you have in front of you. And also, um, uh, um, and just a couple of um, um, bits of information about how people perceive streets. So um, a public way is a, a way that's actually been um, laid out and accepted as a public way by town meeting. And we in the town in that hall have a list of those accepted ways. And the list is specific. It talks about what town meeting they were accepted at. Um, how much of the road was accepted. Uh, sometimes uh, portions of roads uh, remain private or unaccepted. A private way is going to be something that is not built to the specifications that are found in the planning boards, rules and regulations governing the subdivision of land. And very likely received, a, a developer would have received a waiver from the planning board, and that's usually in exchange for some sort of public benefit, either um, most often it's trail easements, but public lands, public access is um, has always been really important to the town. Um, unaccepted ways are roads that were built, um, but then never brought forth for acceptance. And then of course you have paper streets that were laid out as streets, but never constructed. So on maps, they look like roads, but they don't have any um, roads on the ground. Um, the last time we did the acceptance process, I want to say it was uh, maybe three, four years ago. Um, so I'll just give you a quick uh, outline of the process. The first thing that you need to do as the board selectman is um, receive a petition in some form to ask you to lay out the road. That plan is going to show the meets and bounds of the road. Oftentimes it's the same plan that we'll see during the subdivision process. Um, you're also going to get a little bit of title research, especially if it's a road that has been private for some time and there might be ownership of um, to the center line. Um, and again, there's different Sometimes the developer will retain the fee in the road. Sometimes the um, lot owners will own to the center line. That's not part of their lot, but they do own it. 
Um, and you've got 45 days uh, to sentence, uh, to vote your intention, and within that 45 days, um, the planning board gives you a non-binding report. Um, and then you actually have a meeting with the petitioners, um, where you have to send notice to the lot owners. And um, if you do vote to accept the layout, then that goes to the town clerk's office at least seven days prior to a town meeting. Um, then, of course, some of these groups may be substandard, and the funding source for acquisition costs or betterments for improvement needs to be discussed. Next to town meeting, there are specific requirements for the votes, and then specific requirements for what needs to be done just after town meeting. Um, so, rhododendron um, is a uh, road off of Spring Street. Um, we have access to a plan from November 26, 1928, um, by Frank Cheney. Um, and this is part of the AMOC Kingsbury property. Um, and uh, this is actually the only bit of, of information that I could find um, in my brief research on rhododendron. Uh, Hawthorne Estates, that was um, an open space residential subdivision. Um, Mark Sorrell actually was on the planning board at the time. He gave me quite um, an education about what precipitated the this version of this subdivision and um and how and, and pete you actually might remember this too if, if that was coincided with your time on the tba because open space residential developments require a special permit from the zba because it's decreased the lot sizes um and other dimensional requirements in exchange for um conservation land of some sort. So you'll see here we have a ZBA special permit and um, a planning board approval. And in this circumstance, Hawthorne, the main road coming into, uh, up into the subdivision, is a public way that went through the town meeting process. Um, but Alcott and Baldwin uh, were required to be private as a condition of subdivision approval so i believe and we have to check with um town council that not only if they were to petition the town um, for acceptance i believe it would also require a mod a formal modification of the subdivision approval through the planning board as well um and you know this is the type of uh, roadway plan and profile information. I know you cannot see this at all, and it's actually quite old, um, but these are the lists of the waivers that the planning board will grant to, um, to uh, these types of subdivisions in exchange for these private road designations. Um, and the Bridefield Lane, that was um, originally approved by the ZBA in 1999 and by the planning board in 2000. And then I don't want to confuse you by having that subsequent special permit. Um, but the other thing that's really interesting about open space residential developments is that they're kind of considered multifamily developments 
uh, where there's only so much FAR um, floor area ratio to go around. And in this um, subdivision, there was um, uh, a request later for clarification or um, an amount of uh, floor area ratio that could be built. Um, so not to confuse you too much. Um, this one actually is built very close to the standard found in the planning board's rules and regulations, but subsequently in 2002, the developer came back and asked for a waiver from um, curbing and firm standards. And in 2002, the planning board placed the condition that bridal field were to, is to remain a private wedding. Uh, and then there's some of your roadway plans and profiles from Bridal Field. And that's the end of my program. Thank you. Mo, do you? Well, I just want to kind of talk about the standards that we have in the subdivision rules and regs and why we have them. Um, you know, a lot of these roadways that are private, that are built, that are not up to the standards of the town, there's reasons why we ask for them, whether it's curbing, uh, when we go in there and uh, plow, we don't want to rip up everybody's uh, lawns uh, during the process. We want, you know, we'd like to have the fire hydrants out there for fire flow, uh, also for um, to flush so that we get all the sediments out of because it is connected to the town prop, uh, the town's uh, system. Uh, same thing with the sewer. Um, we look at the width of the roadways. I know the fire department has issues at times where if, if the, the cul-de-sac or the dead end, there's no turnaround or not a big enough turnaround for them to safely turn around and get out of that subdivision and having to back up all the way down the street, that's, that's an issue. Um, as you know, during, this, during the winters, especially in, I believe, 2015, when we had back-to-back-to-back-to-back storms, um, that roadways get narrower and narrower. And when you have a, a roadway that's not up to the standards of where we like to see the width of the roadways, they're, um, they're very difficult for us to, to maintain without having to do uh, snow removal in all the subdivisions. So there's, there's a lot of reasons why we, we ask for the standards. And with the private roads, like I said, they, you do get waivers that um, are difficult for us to, to provide services for if the roadways are accepted. Yeah. Um, so just to give both of you um, a sense of how this came up originally, obviously we get these requests from time to time. There's also, I think it's fair to say, we sat down about this, something of a scattershot approach to you know, which roads we plow, which roads we don't plow, which roads are, we treat as their public roads, which ones we don't. Um, and I, I would imagine that every single one of these private ways that was accepted as a private way has its own little story behind it as to why that was the case. And so, um, we get these requests from time to time um, from people on various streets who want to have their streets accepted. Frequently, there are streets that don't meet the standards for roads. And so what I would like to explore is whether we can come up with some sort of rubric or policy that we could apply generally um, to these kinds of requests so that we're not just dealing with them, you know, to Sarah's point, we're not just dealing them with them on an ad hoc basis and sort of making up um, making up a rule for each road that comes up to it. It could be 
a very strict policy saying, nope, you've got, you've got to bring the road up to our standards before we accept it. It could be somewhere in between that, that it's kind of a cost-sharing issue between the town and the people on the street who want to, um, who want to have it accepted as a public way. We could sort of put a cutoff to say, because the issue is that a lot of these were accepted as, as, as private ways. The developer is long gone. So the, the, the original theory was that, like in a condominium or what have you, that the, the developer owns the land, the developer is probably owned by the estate of the developer, and so there's nobody really keeping up the roads. The more recent ones where we have kind of a more deliberate process, I think for the most part, there is at least a mechanism in place to maintain those roads after the developer moves on. But we do have lots of them. I mean, well, we have... Well, there's the, the yeah. ones that fit this criteria we're talking about is probably about 20 to 22 of yeah. them. Uh, there might be a little bit less. I know Sarah has been uh, trying to narrow that that list down a little bit, but uh, I believe there's about 20, 22 subdivisions that are possible candidates. And, and one of the issues we have is people move in and um, either it's a disclosure that they get or it's not a disclosure that they get, but they move in and they're surprised to find out that what looks like a road that they live on is really more of a shared driveway, at least from the standpoint of the town, and they would like the town to maintain those roads and the rest of it. Um, a lot, most of them are not up to our standard for what we have, so it creates problems. And so, um, I, I want to explore if we can come up with some sort of a program where, if a street wanted to come in, we have a defined amount. Okay, here's how much we expect people to pay via betterments. Here's how close you have to get to the standard that the DPW can live with it. The Fire, police and fire can live because the reality is, and there's an interest for the town as well. You know, if there's a fire down the end of the street, we're not going to say, "Well, that's a private way; it's not up to standard." We're not going to drive down your road, or you know, if we have town water underneath the road, we're going to go in and we're going to fix the water. So there's, there's all this whole kind of um, system that has developed over time that it would be good, if possible, to rationalize and rationalize in a way that's fair. Um, so that it's not just a matter of this this particular street got organized this time and wanted to do it. They got one deal and then another street comes along two years later. It would be nice if people could kind of, you know, go to the website and say, okay, we're a private way. Here's what you have to do. You have to get the people on the road to agree. Here's what the town would expect. Here's what you have to do. And we're not sort of negotiating each one separately. There'll be some technical pieces of it. So that was the idea. It was could we get there um, as opposed to sticking in the, the land of ad hocery where we are now, because the ones we've done more recently have been sort of deliberate, right? We, we did, was it Eric Road the last Eric. one we did? Yeah, Eric Road, um, where the developer intended when the developer built the road that when it was over, it would be accepted as a private public road. So it was built to that standard, it's gonna be accepted as a public road. Uh, but we have a lot of these older ones that that was not what was intended. I mean, a lot of times I think some of them were to avoid further development on the, in the particular area or because we got the easement and all the rest of it. So there's a whole patchwork of roads and rules and deals that have been made. And so um, in talking to Mo and having had these discussions with people over the years and gotten a few more recently, I wanted to explore whether we could come up with some sort of a program that would be fair and reasonable that people could understand and kind of opt into it if they want to and, and know what it is as opposed to having to figure out that what they thought was a road is not actually a road. So. I have a question. No questions. So anytime that we can get away from uh, the town uh, applying rules and regulations in anything other than an ad hoc manner, I think that's excellent. So I think this is a great idea to see if we can create a protocol that we can formalize. Um, 
because I'm sure that there are a lot of very surprised buyers who, who learn that they're not living on a public way and, and the differences that that creates. There are instances where the town specifically refuses to accept certain streets as public ways, such as in Old Village Square. I don't think you plow that, do you? I don't believe so. Yeah. No, and, that was a multi-family development, yeah. so it's not even a street. Yeah, so that and, I think and, they have a homeowner. Like it gets plowed, though, right? There's a homeowner. Right, right. But, right. but the town, uh, as part of the, the development process, doesn't want to accept the responsibility for driving the, the or plowing the street, so they leave that with the uh, developer. Most of the streets, most of the private ways that are plowed today have been, at one time or another, been um, petitioned to plow. We do under state uh, legislature that we can plow private ways if they're um, if they do petition and the town agrees to to plow those for emergency situations and um, you know but you know it's it's a liability to us also when we go in there because we don't um, like I said if it's not built to standards certain things can be damaged and you know spending public funds on a private way whether it was. Um, you know, not done intentionally, but um, then spending that money on that private way is like just doing like someone's driveway. And, and that's what, the way we have to think about it is that even though it looks like a road, acts like a road, it's still a private property. It's, it's someone's it's someone's property. It's not the town's property at that time. So, yeah. So in general, I think this is an excellent exercise to undertake. Start oh, sure. With yeah. There first oh, then. just get a microphone and just who you are and where you live and all that. Thank you. Hi, I'm Barry Jones on Bridalfield Lane. Uh, when you create this Rubik, is there any room to put in there some kind of uh, tax abatement on an assessment levy for not being able to qualify for all of the services that the town can provide, like road maintenance, plowing, and so forth? Do you get a break as a homeowner in? In your tax the, rate, the short answer is no, right? I mean, you, you did. I mean, if you want it, the the road to be maintained by the town, it's got to be accepted as a public road. I, I understand that, but if it's not going to be accepted, we've accepted that it's not going to be accepted. I'm the president of the homeowners association, so we have accepted that it's not going to happen. Um, is there any opportunity for a conversation or dialogue about a? Uh, some kind of, I don't mean a rebate, but just a lower levy. We're not getting the full range of services that, uh, that the rest of the town would be getting. I think that becomes a difficult argument because then how do you parse that? For, I mean, there, there, there are plenty of people in town that don't have children. Should they not pay for the schools? Um, I don't know how you'd, how you'd uh, do that. And I, mean, I think, I think it, what happens is that when Brattlefield was built, the price of the housing uh, included some sort of probably reduction for the mount, for the fact that the road wasn't built out to town standards. Hi, Steve Cruikshank, uh, Hawthorne, I guess representing a few people here. Uh, you're more than welcome to speak, of course, too. So first of all, thank you for putting together a structure for it, because I think that has been a lot of our frustration is, was the ad hoc nature of how do we get this done? I know it's come up at a lot of our association meetings before and sort of the comments were, well, you have to know the right guy and catch him at the right moment. And then maybe you can get your spot considered. Uh, and that's just not the way we should work, frankly. Um, 
So I don't know if Sarah, if you've already received our request or not, but if you haven't, I'm sure you will be getting one. Um, we well, would like- I actually heard from other people. I looked back through my email about Hawthorne. I remember um, in 2014, um, yeah, sounds about right. I saw the I saw the email from 2014, and um, you know I am not a lawyer, so I can say you know you can position the town. I think the selectmen are on the right track by developing a smoother process for understanding how uh, to position the town and what the um, you know what the what the standard might be. But you know at the very end of the day. Um, you know, there's engineering and legal work that is required um, that associations and private property owners will have to um, to seek. Right? I don't I don't know that there's anybody in the in town hall that could provide sure. um, those types of um, that type of advice. So just from an informal standpoint, you know, if you speaking about road widths and maintainability. You know, the Alcott uh, and Walden roads are certainly wider than Curve Street, where Jerry lives, certainly wider than Summer Street, which is also a public way. Um, I'm sure there are many other technical aspects to it, but I, I can't see a problem with plowing in those areas. Um, and I know that we have, what, 27 households? 29. 29. So if we think about the, the 27 years that those houses have been on the market and paying taxes, that's probably well over $10 million worth of taxes. And all we're looking for really is just to get those two streets plowed. That's basically all we're looking for. So if you could add them to your list of private ways that get plowed, <laughs> that would be great. Thank you. All right, we have two folks on the Zoom. Uh, do you want to? No, let me get these questions first, and then I, yeah. I do have questions. So can we promote first JDH? And then we'll promote Alex Green. JDH, you say who you are and where you live, please. Um, I'm Jane Harry. I live on Walden Court in the Hawthorne area. I wanted to second what Steve Kirkshank said and take it a little further saying, you know, it's not just a matter of plowing, but it is also road maintenance and sidewalk maintenance. And it's this point about, you know, the, the ease of plowing or the ease of maintenance, I would offer up the uh, comparison of Pine Street which is certainly more more hazardous and more narrow than our roads. We have a nice, easy turnaround. Our plows are able to do it readily. Um, I think that the, the town plows would be able to. And I would also note that I see several people who are originals in this neighborhood, including myself at the meeting there in person. We were clearly given by the developer, not just the you know, impression, but more almost a promise, and I don't have anything in writing, to say, you know, hey, this is just a formality. You folks are private speak now, but, you know, it's just a matter of signing a piece of paper and you folks will be on the street places later, um, you know, we're still stuck. And I don't think any of us really knows why we can't um, hold it. Thank you. All right, uh, you want to promote Alex Green, please?
should be joining now. Screen and I live on Rhododendron. And part of the issue with our road is that it's not even paved, and so the entire thing gets riddled with potholes, and it is tough to track down. It really is. And uh, we were told that we would have to pave the road as the residents for it to get accepted by the town, which is a whole other sort of issue again where we don't have any housing association or HOA or anything of that nature and so it makes it a little bit challenging and so you know the town does plow it there is a turnaround at the end of the road and it may not meet some of the width specifications or some of the other um, specs that you have laid out but it, uh, it just it makes it kind of challenging when you know the residents are going to have to or have been told to incur the cost so similar to like the gentleman mentioned about plowing is there some type of tax you know levy or whatever um you know it would seem like that would be a helpful way for these you know tax-paying residents to get a drivable road yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, the issue is, for me, when I think about it just conceptually, there's sort of the technical piece of it, is that if you're getting something that you're not currently entitled to, it should kind of be a shared thing, right? When we when people get sewer hookups they didn't have before, typically they'll pay a betterment for the sewer hookup and it gets paid off over time. Um, and so I, I would say my bias is toward wanting to reduce the number of private ways we have because I, I do think it is... Um, it's not great to have, it'd be better for maintaining them, but to ask sort of the general taxpayers to foot all of the bill of bringing roads that were not currently responsible for maintaining up to code to bring it in, I don't think that's fair either. So, I mean, as I think about this conceptually, if we came up with some sort of a program, I think it would ultimately be kind of a shared situation, right? Where, where we'd expect that people who were asking to have a road that either does not qualify, would not otherwise qualify as a public road to be accepted, would contribute something towards it depending on on the circumstances of that particular road, then going forward, it would be maintained, right? So you'd kind of have the initial buy-in cost to get it upgraded and get it close enough, because a lot of them, I think, probably can't meet it just based on how wide they are, but close enough that there's not a safety issue. And then going forward, the town would, would pick it up. And I think when I think about it conceptually, that to me would be the fairest way to do it, both for the people on the streets and um, the people uh, for the town generally. And just recognizing that we don't have any excess, excess funds for this. This is a fairly expensive project. We get about $390,000 a year so from the state for Chapter 90 for all the roads in town. That's one of the things about I wanted to talk about is Chapter 90. Um, our roadway funding, we have a pavement management program that we plan um, ahead for a lot, all of our roadways in town, trying to keep the, all the roadways in good shape. When, when we look at subdivisions, whether it's unaccepted to accepted or private to accepted, um, depending on the condition of the road, I mean, you could have a road that's been there for 20 years and all the pavement looks good, but that useful life of that pavement is already gone. And so if there's not a new pavement or new uh, improvements to that subdivision, 
that has to be put onto the improvement list right away rather than 15 or 20 years when a new subdivision was supposed to be accepted. So that, that puts a lot of pressure, more pressure on us. And we were trying to do, like I said, we're trying to make a program that, that helps these private roads, but with an understanding that we get $5,300 a year per mile, which doesn't take care of maybe just a, it's a $5,000 for a handicapped access ramp. So that's, that gives you an idea of how much it covers for, for the subdivision. So to get that cost right away, you know, taking a subdivision over or taking a street over, that cost has to be put into a plan right away and that pushes everything back in our pavement management program. So that's, that's, that's one of the challenges we face as well, so. Hi, um, I'm Jody Melvin. I live on Walden Court. These are my neighbors as well. Um, yeah, and thank you for bringing attention to this. I think it's, it's a really good idea to put a program together, to put some kind of structure together. Um, I've lived there since I was one of the original settlers. I've been there since 1995 and um, saw everything come in. And I just want to say that um, our cul-de-sacs, Walden Court and Alcott Way, and I, I was going to say it before everybody else said that there are pieces of Pine Street that are narrower than our, than our cul-de-sacs. And we do have fire hydrants. And oh, by the way, there was a fire in my house about 10 years ago and two full-size fire engines did come up as well as um, an EMT truck. So I feel, and also if you were to look at the pavement um, comparing Hawthorne to the cul-de-sacs, I think you'll find they're, they're pretty equal. And we also took the opportunity as um, our association, we did a lot of seal, um, seal coating, cracking, whatever you call it, um, a few years ago. So we have been trying to keep it up. So I think if you took a, if you went up there, you'd find that surprisingly it's probably better than what you think it is. <laughs> All right, Gus, you were, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yep. Sure, um, Bain Gill, I'm also a uh, Hawthorne Village uh, resident. And like Jody, uh, we've been there uh, since the beginning. And one thing I would maybe uh, point out to Mo is that uh, there was a ton of ledge uh, in that development when it was brought on. So there was literally a quarry up there and uh, the quality of the roads that were built I think is quite high. I don't think you've had to do much to the main road mm -hmm. since you took it. Well, you've had it since the beginning. And so the side roads, which are not cul-de-sacs, they're loop roads, but uh, those, um, you know, are very high quality roads. So any maintenance that you're, you know, that you've had to do on the main road. You have uh, to look at the useful life of the roadway. I mean, sure. as far as the pavement, if it was done 20 years ago, even though it's in looks in good shape, that could break up over a winter and I'm, I'm not saying it will be but um we have to look at it that way when we paved like uh, we just paved west street we're hoping to get 20 years out of that road we just paved it this year um in 20 years if we don't do anything to it and I'm, I'm glad you did some crack filling and things like that to help preserve the road but that's a sign of it being deteriorating and that we would need to go in there uh, soon to, to redo that road unless it falls apart. And that's what we're trying to avoid is having our, our resources having to put, go into subdivisions. That's why we try to keep our roadways, the good roads good and keep working on different places, uh, subdivisions, main roads to, um, to keep the quality of that pavement. Um, so with our, with our pavement management program, we have different methodologies that we use. 
Um, so I'm not saying that your road isn't in good shape, but the quality of life, the, the useful life of that pavement isn't long if it was paved back 20, 20 years, or 25 years ago. That's all. Yeah, a uh, couple, couple questions. First, first one, for new developments right now that might have private, there, the, the issue of private ways where a developer has a private way, but once the development's completed, then the, then the streets get handed over to the town. So it starts private way and automatically so, goes over. So certain roads are, are, are private in perpetuity. So right. um, what happens is um, someone can wants to fit maybe extra lots in there for relatives, friends, things like that, that's happened over the years. Um, and so they ask for waivers to, to make the road smaller, the, the, the lot smaller, uh, no curbing, what, whatever the case may be. But as new people move in, that kind of goes away. And like you say, you know, you pay taxes and you'd like to see what, what kind of goes away. It, it goes away that it was supposed to be private in perpetuity because the new the new homeowners may not realize that it's private or don't have the uh, homeowners association to take care of any maintenance that that goes on and so, so, so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in here for all of that i actually have friends in some of these neighborhoods yeah. so um i know some of some of you i know and some of some of them that aren't here i know my question so i'm gonna play hard nose here why is that the town's problem it's it's not the town's problem okay that's a start so we, we start so what i'm getting at it shouldn't is there be, the can be lots of homeowners can find out lots of different things. We can go up to trail end and we can hear homeowners that said, I had no idea that the the, the, uh, the Westwood <laughs> Gun Club is gonna be as noisy as it is. Nobody told me. And so I, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is I'm looking at a broad you, category. You could say of, buyer beware. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. So that's that's a starting point here. Right. Um, but where I, my first question was actually geared toward is this issue that we're dealing with an issue of dealing with private ways that have existed in town for a long time and we now have procedures that if a developer has a private way they might have a private i'm thinking it like hinkley south might be a private way while the development is underway but hinkley south is building streets i believe that would be conforming with the standards for the town so at the point that the development is done then the developer hands over the, the streets to the town. We, so it's not a problem going forward, or is it? That's my first question. It depends on the waivers that are given to the private ways. I think um, you know there's a difference between unaccepted roadways and private ways. Unaccepted roadways are roads that are supposed to turn into public ways. So if I'm a developer- so I, I, would just, I, mean, I would just say just on this, because this is a good point. I, mean, I think there's a period historically after which we started doing a better job of only accepting as private ways that were up to our standard that we could accept as public roads or where you had a homeowners association or some institutional mechanism for maintenance. Mm -hmm. I think we're most of what we're talking about here are very old right. roads and then in the borderline there. I mean, I think the, the risk is you don't want to create a program that then provides a loophole for going forward to, to sort of cut corners, knowing, well, you, I'll just cut corners and then eventually right. the, the homeowners will be able to get in. Like there's gotta be some cutoff where after this point in time, we're all aware of this problem. We, we had this kind of long period of time of, of ad hocery about this. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of what I said as part of the program is to say, look, there's a cutoff. Mm -hmm. You're not, this is not gonna work for any road built after some year because everybody should know better. Right. Okay, so, <laughs> that's, that's, so that's- But for one, the stuff that's, that's truly older before, 
um, you know, I don't know what falls in where, but for the older stuff, that's what we're trying to get yeah. at. Okay, so that's, that's yeah. my first question is, it's a lot easier for me to swallow something like this if it's bounded, mm -hmm. as opposed to it's just a technique that developers can use. Next question, so if a developer sits there and pursues a waiver, just to keep it easy, let's say it's a waiver around curbs. Um, when the private way that has the waiver around curbs wants to become wants to basically be handed over as a public way for the town, the highway department has a problem with the lack or whatever these curbs would be, has a problem. Does the private way get brought into meeting the standards or are we actually talking about, no, we're just gonna, it's a private way, it had waivers, it doesn't, have, it doesn't meet the standards, but the town just kind of says, well, but on this one, we'll just take on all the risk? Uh, my view is that we, sh it, it shouldn't be accepted in the substandard standards that are being allowed for private ways. Okay. With that being said, it doesn't mean that if we're looking for a 22 foot uh, paved surface, 11 foot travel lanes, mm -hmm. if it comes in at 20, that's not a reason to say, hey, you gotta make it two feet wider. So are there a set of, so there are, are there some standards, like I get that, you know, right. if you went up to Alcott, I get why you probably don't need 11 foot travel lanes if you don't have them, although you might, I'm not sure about it there. Um, so are there some standards that would be understandably waivable because it's like there's only the people that live on the I, street? I think that's a conversation we need to have and need to discuss of what standards are acceptable to to waive or to to reduce with the planning and zoning board as well. Uh, I okay. think, you know, it, it's a conversation that uh, has not happened with the private ways. Um, you know, it's 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 an under, it's understandable that, you know, Everyone wants their town accepted, so the town mm -hmm. maintains the road. Um, it's just a, it's a tremendous amount of pressure on the town to to take these roads over in the conditions that they are they're in. Mm -hmm. So some sort of improvements have to be made. I think it has to be a case by case and have to look at it and see what standards we we would recommend as minimums. Okay. So that leads to my next question. This is the hard nosed mercenary in me here. So why does the town want to take these? Over at all, what's the incentive for the town to do this? I think, um, besides common decency or something like that, it, it was <laughs> it, it was more of just bringing up a conversation with these private roads because we have so many of them in town, and we've had multiple phone calls from a lot of people to to make these uh, accepted roadways. I just want to kind of get the discussion so that we can explain to the townspeople of what we face as a town. Um, on the town government side, what we have to do for funding and, and what pressures it puts on us and to understand your point of view as well. So it's, it's so to go back to a place like Bridalfield, I think that yeah. then the answer is, well, you're actually not you're not giving us a break on our real estate taxes. We're paying taxes as if we had a public way in front of us. We kind of like to see if there's a way we can actually take advantage of some services that Maybe we don't have a totally conforming street, but if, if it's conforming enough. And if, we can't, and, if, and if we can't conform, okay, we'll continue taking care of it privately. Right. And figuring out what we're going to do. Don't say that because I'd jump on that one. It's like, okay, but, good. We the, gotta, you know, I, I did rank as a, as a taxpayer for that portion of the service that we have to Okay. At, at this point, <clears throat> up to this point, the, the hard truth is that it's considered private property to the town. And that's why it's. It's just like 
again, it's like someone's driveway. It's like you consider the street to come out to the main road. We consider it in our minds as a private driveway. So in our own driveways, we don't plow them. We don't, we don't fill potholes in people's private driveways. So that's what, how we consider that as private property. It's, it's not a town road, so it's not public property yet. The sewer, the utilities, you know, um, that brings up a, a different point. It is connected to the town, to town sewerage. By rights, it should be maintained by the development. But if there's a water main break or some kind of sewer uh, problem, you know, we would not, because it affects our system, we wouldn't just shut the water down and, and say, you're on your own, go fix it whenever you can, and you're out of water. Can you explain that sewer thing again? Because we're on sewer as well. Yep. So if there's an issue... If our sewer line breaks, the homeowners association... By rights, they, they are responsible for that area. It's not a town. It's not part of the town. It's just like... If you think about it this way, again, I mean, I, I know it's it's hard to think about it this way, but if you have a, a, a one one uh, a one uh, family home and you have a water and sewer connection to the street, that's privately owned. If you have an issue, it's your responsibility to fix that. So if you think about it the same way is that if bridal field is not a public way, it's private property, it's, it's a common driveway, those mains that are in the road that you consider sewer mains or, or water mains to us are services from your private property to the town layout. So, well, we had a, there was a situation about a year ago that was like this, I thought it was off north or something, where a woman was on the verge of selling her property and the sewer system was, was private and it had a hookup to the town and there was a dispute. I don't even know how it got resolved so now, but she got hung up on trying to sell the that's property. A diff that's another, that's another uh, different thing. That's a, so that's not the same that was thing. a uh, decision made by prior officials back in the day. I call it BM before Mo, but uh, <laughs> it's one of those. Well before Mo. <laughs> <laughs> it was a private a private sewer system that was allowed to put it be put into the public way. Okay. And so when I was here, I was uh, informed rather quickly when I allowed them to tie into this sewer system that was in the public way that I had no indication that it was private was never it had no no documentation that I could see okay. and found out it was a private sewer system. So that's a little bit different than what we're talking okay. about. Here. Okay. So, all right. But that actually ties into my last question here is no. if, whether it was a sewer system that was private that wanted, to, I guess if you could try to get public private ways taken as public roads, you might conceivably be able to get private sewer systems accepted right. as public sewer systems through some process. Well, what at I, least the last time that came up, I think, I don't know what their current position is, but, but I think they would like that. Correct. Right. We the, with the water and sewer board, we're looking at having them making improvements so that the town would accept it. So my broad question. So my broad question is, and this ties into the a comment that came from one of the online speakers. Yeah. What do we do? Whether it's a pri I mean, let's leave the sewers out for a minute, but mm -hmm. it feels to me like it's a similar category or could be. What do we do with the private way to assess? 
the condition, like if we're trying to figure out some way to split costs, if that's what yeah. we're doing, I, one piece to me sounds like, well, there might be certain standards that we could waive, and so you don't have to do anything to fix them. And then there are other standards, like maybe substandard or unacceptable curbs that you'd have to fix so that we can actually plow without getting into trouble. What mechanism would you use to assess the the the, the wear and tear, the, the current status of a right. private way? In other words... Why not have private way and just before it's time to repave it, say, I think it needs to be a public way. And then all of a sudden you've got that priority project that needs to be done next year because the whole way is about to fall apart. How does that part work? So in, in my career, we've, we've done a lot of street inspection reports, a lot of roadway cost estimates. When a subdivision is built, there's a whole laundry list, three pages of, of all the activities that happens to, um, to have a subdivision accepted. Mm-hmm. So you start with the underground, all the drainage, all the um, uh, water, sewer, mm-hmm. hydrants, gate valves, everything, the layers of pavement. You have the gravel base, you have the binder course, you have the top course. You have the compaction of that system. If it mm-hmm. doesn't reach 95% compaction, that creates potholes and it creates sinkholes and things like that. Mm-hmm. You have granite curbing, you have, um, you know, unless you have Cape Cod berm with a grass strip, sidewalks, all the rest. Mm-hmm. So all that gets put in, and as soon as the developer starts to get those activities completed, they put in for a reimbursement for that money. Now, at the end of that process, there's a fee that's held for acceptance. Now, if the developer doesn't accept it at that time, it's still an unaccepted roadway, it's still private. Mm-hmm. But as a private road, when you get those waivers, they may not have the, the proper thickness of the roadways or the gravel base or the, the widths or the sidewalks or the curbing or the drainage. You know, it's mm-hmm. really important that the water is controlled, stormwater management, uh, especially is a big thing right now. So, um, you know, in the case of rhododendron, they have a, a, a dirt road that's not paved, no drainage, just um, coming out, everything sheet flowing off into people's properties and then out to Route 27. Mm-hmm. So every subdivision has to be taken case by case to kind of figure out what needs to be done and what and maybe a meeting with the planning board to see what type of waivers can be what's the minimum of the waiver that would be accepted so where i'm where i'm going with this is i'm trying to i'm wondering whether there's a way in the same way that I'm, I'm trying to figure out how we might do what you're looking yeah. to do if, if there are some standards that need to be corrected and some standards that can be waived to get that. Is there a way to assess the the life of of, of a road? Yeah. So you, I'll make it up. I'll say, well, we accept we can accept a road that's got at least it's assessed to have at least ten years of life left in it. But if you got a road that's about to fall apart, and you got to fix the road or bring it up to a certain standard before we'll take it on, is there? So it, can we establish that kind of? So standard? with our pavement management, we do a roadway inventory every five years. Yeah. It, it's the does a pavement con, uh, condition, it does an assessment, and it gives it a roadway surface rating. Mm-hmm. We could look at it as what roads fall under a certain threshold. We could use that as a standard. That, that's what I was looking yeah. for. That might be yeah. I think that's what that's got to be a part of it, right? So if here's the rule, and, and it's obviously not going to be perfect black and white, but it's right. got to be consistent because mm-hmm. so, right now we have no consistency in this process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on the topic of roads, I guess we're in the interesting situation where Hawthorne is a public way, yep. Walden and Alcart are privates. 
And so, and they're of the same age, I can't speak to their construction quality, I don't have that information. Um, but hypothetically, right, to ask us to redo Walden and Alcott before Hawthorne gets redone is gonna make it far more expensive for us to do that because it would be far more efficient if they're of the same age and they are gonna need to be replaced at the same time to do them all at once. With an understanding with that, if Hawthorne is already in our schedule of repairs and Walden and Alcott is not, that's where the difference becomes then. Right, but yeah. there should but be- I think to that just conceptually, right? Yeah, conceptually- So it be that you have to bring it up to code, but it could be, okay, it's 10 years out. If it's 10 years out, here's how much you have to pay to have it accepted because we're going to that's the added cost that 10 years from now we're going to have to add that in so because I, I think it could be you can bring it up i mean i think the idea would be do the whole subdivision at once right okay. you bring it up yeah, to, yeah, yeah. and hand it over otherwise it's okay you have 10 years left 10 years here's the basic metric you all get together you contribute that amount we accept that it, it goes on the on the plan and that amount of money is effectively held against that cost when it comes because we were literally talking about this last week yeah. You know, should we spend, I forget how much the numbers were, oh, it's a, lot. a lot, Yeah. you know, to do these two roads in anticipation that it might help us get accepted. Right. And that's which another, seems ridiculous to and do. That's another thing, too. It, it does go to town meeting for acceptance. It's not just a vote of, okay. of the board. Yeah. But I think that's, what, well, at least from my mind, conceptually what it would be. That for some of them, if, if it's essentially at this point a zero, right, you've got to bring it up before or pay in to have the town. It might be cheaper for the town to do it. Um, but still, you've got to contribute to get it to that point. If it's, a, if it's in better shape, it would be less expensive to do. I mean, I think that's the idea is to try to It would have to be looked at as like, a case by case and inspected yeah. and, and looked yeah. at what the, what the conditions uh, yeah. are. <clears throat> the sensitivity I have is that on one hand, you've got the tax, the, the all the taxpayers of the town, and then depend. You know, in a particular neighborhood, you may be in a neighborhood. For, let's say that we never they, we never got told that this was how this worked, and so I bought it, and it's mine. And I now have a direct financial problem, or collectively we have a financial problem. How do you trade off helping a group of people that have a particular financial issue because of the circumstances? To, just automatically dumping it onto the taxpayers because it's inconvenience, not a good argument. On the other hand, living there, paying taxes, and, and having a road that effectively functions as a road that the town hasn't had to maintain, that's the other side. So I'm, I'm kind of just trying to figure out where you navigate that. I mean, the, the ideal state would be not to have any private ways that don't have an ongoing mechanism for maintaining them. Right? Right. And so- right. Um, not to have any private ways that don't have an ongoing mechanism to maintain them. So if you have like Old Village Square, you have a, con it's a condo association, it's going to be existing, it's going to be maintained, like there's a fee and that's covered. For others that don't, which, which describes most of the ones we're talking about, it'd be better off if these were all public roads, right? I think there is a public interest in limiting the amount of these private ways, but I think what we're wrestling for here is a fair way to allocate the expense of doing that and the risk of doing that between the improvements that will be mainly felt by the people on those roads and then that public benefit for having more roads, especially roads that aren't through, through roads. So I, I think in, it, we'd like to be able to figure out a fair way to get there and then you know, each group of neighbors can decide if it's worth it to be in this program or not, um, but at least anybody on a private way could go on the website, identify the fact that there's treated as a private way and hopefully see what the program is 
and decide whether they want to participate in it or not. I think that's what we're trying to get to. And so, so well, is, there, is there a present process right now to get the road that private ways assessed? No. The, for, for the private roads? Yeah. N no. I mean, it would, like I said, we were trying to develop a process uh, because there is a lot of um, interest in in becoming uh, public ways. So I think we're at the infancy stage of trying to develop something that's that's fair and equitable for everybody. Well, we have the, the standard Let me take two last comments from JDH and Alex Green on the Zoom machine, and then we'll put, call it a wrap on this topic. And there's more work to do. Get a well, couple oh, comments, sorry, too. Pete. Hold on. Let's just do uh, yeah, JDH and, and Alex, and then we'll go back to Pete. Hi, this is Jane Harrod again, um, Walden Court. Um, I just wanted to applaud your interest in sort of putting a process and some um, understanding to all of this. Um, I do want to point out, Gus, you, you've taken an approach of, you know, why would we, other than goodwill, um, fund these people? And, and if you look at it from the other perspective of us, you know, we're, we're taxpayers. It's not us against you. We're all part of one community. And if you really want to play devil's advocate, you know, we have funded thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars in care for our roads when for 26 years we have actually been asking the town, what is it that we need to do to be approved? And as far as I know, I, I just don't know what the answer is. And maybe 26 years ago, if you had said, hey, listen, if you do X, Y, Z up front, you'll be approved. And we would have weighed and measured that and said, well, you know, over the next 10 years, that will pay off. And we're going to do those improvements or whatever it takes up front to get these things done and approved. We've never really had an understanding of what we need to do. It's all been very vague. And quite frankly, I feel, having listened to this meeting, like, yes, there's some interest in, in making some consistency to the process. And I appreciate that. But I do feel like it's it's an us against them. Why do we want to help them? I, and I don't understand that. I my five kids are out of the school system, but I still support the schools. 
I don't have elderly people in town, but I still support the COA. And that's how it's meant to be in, in my in my world. And so I don't think it should be, you know, let make them prove to us why they belong, why as taxpaying citizens they should get the same value that everybody else gets, or most people. So if, if I can, I'll, I'll respond that, Jane. Uh, first off, just to be clear, I was deliberately being a devil's advocate and I was deliberately asking hard questions. So don't take my questions as my firm position on this. But to answer your question specifically, there's two reasons why the question is a worthwhile question. Now, the answer is a different issue. Uh, the first one is that the, the moral hazard of an individual property owner not knowing about some condition in their in their property uh, does not automatically fall to the taxpayers of a town to cover. So there's a piece of it was behind my question is the fact that you didn't bother to know about something about your property when you bought it is not the responsibility of the town to insulate you from that. That was what was behind that piece. The second piece was if we have a private way which is a non-conforming street that had waivers that effectively worked to the advantage of a developer who was able to extract greater economic return because that waiver allowed, whether it was, I think Sarah mentioned improvements in the FAR or different cheaper, you know, uh, berms or anything around, somebody made money on that. And now all of a sudden, we're saying, well, the taxpayers should make up for that. So I'm not using that as my position. I'm trying to explain why I asked the question, uh, because I think that is what you have to try to trade off: is how much of this is reason, how much of this is reasonably just put on the taxpayers' shoulders. Uh, and it's not so much it's us versus them; it's a matter of who's actually holding the bag on this and who should pick it up. Uh, so that, that was what was behind the questions. I deliberately asked them as aggressive questions. All right, let's hear from Alex Green and then we will call a wrap on this one. And then Pete, and then Pete, before we call a wrap on this And I just want to second the point that uh, the woman was making about we're taxpayers, you know, and what about the residents that don't have kids? Everyone still pays for schools. It feels as if it should be the same for the roads. Um, and then my, my thought in regards to, you're right, the developer who originally did this made money, for perhaps, by getting these waivers. Uh, but that developer is now long gone, and the current residents are sort of stuck with that. And we don't know what the town or what the benefit was at that time. But so it seems like it was a town standard, perhaps, that was maybe that wasn't the right, you know, standard to have in place for that road at the time. And so having the plan that you proposed uh, for getting acceptance going forward seems to make sense. But what about? the existing roads where that developer is already gone. And, you know, again, some residents don't have HOAs. Uh, it's my opinion that the roads should be accepted that are here and new developments would then be subject to the, um, you know, the plan that you're trying to put in place. 
Right. No, I think you've articulated the issue that we're trying to resolve. And I think we can, I think everybody would like to get this without paying anything for it. I think that's generally um, true. And I think the, the issue we have is we don't have enough money to do this for every private way in town um, without, um, without throwing off our other maintenance plans. We're trying to navigate. If we had tons of money to do this, we could do it. We don't. And so we're trying to figure out a fair way to do it, given our limited resources. Pete. So... I think with respect to the equity issue of uh, that we might uh, get some guidance from the way the town did the uh, sewage in town and we were in sewers. There were a lot of houses that were having septic systems that were failing and so that we extended the sewers to help those people out. The town had, had permitted sewers that uh, then failed and so that the town felt like it was complicit, I think. Um, so that's that's just one thought that we might look to that as, as a way to do this. Um, the second uh, thing that, that I was just, from my own personal experience, 32 years ago, I moved onto a private way, didn't know it. I came from Newton. Everything is a public way. And, and uh, our developer sold all the 11 lots and moved to Florida. And then uh, I asked the question, how do, how do we get accepted as a, as a public way? And I discovered that there was a process and you have to go through it. But in those days, the town wasn't following up. Our subdivision had met all the planning board guidelines for subdivision roads, but uh, our developer was gone. There was no one interested in making it a public way except me and my neighbors. And so that we did it, or I did it. Um, but um, so that's one another example. I think that I think it's very different now that Sarah's our town planner, and so that I, I I'm, I'm sure that that's getting factored in and followed up on now. Um, and then the other experience that, that we I had personally was uh, uh, our neighboring street, Clayton, was also built to planning board standards, but um, before it got accepted as a public way, it had a sinkhole in it. Um, and there was some sort of negotiation that the town entered into to uh, with the neighbors. I don't even know what the details of it was, but I think the neighbors had to do something. To, to get it up to town standards and get accepted as a public way. So that's all. Thank you, Pete. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Oh, I had one more oh, thing. Sorry. I, I, I actually sat on the ZBA when Hawthorne was, uh, was approved, and I had wanted to require the developer to put up an endowment to fix the, the, the pump water pump station. When you turn into Hawthorne, on the right, there's the water pump station. And I, my mind was going to the idea that, well, that's not going to last forever. Why don't we have him put a, create some endowment so that when it breaks, the, the, the town doesn't have to pay to fix it? Has that broken? Because I was prevented from doing that. <laughs> we hear it running, but I have no idea. Oh, so it's still working then. <laughs> we need to. Yeah, we need yeah, we're to. We're the next house up. I'm very interested in that water pump station, so let me know if it breaks. <laughs> right. we, 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 maintain. we maintain. We did yeah. give to the town um, land, conservation land, in order to get the cluster zoning that we have for 29 homes on. So we did give the town land, and we did have um, easements for public Yeah, and I think Bridalfield. Right off of the private road. Yeah, oh, that's a, it's a wonderful solution to things, and 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 the houses are, are a little closer together because of that yeah. that land. 
I think that Sarah was telling us earlier that there have been only four of these cluster developments that have been built in Medfield. So that it's a great idea, but it, it's just not getting, it was not used much, unfortunately. And we have asked over the years, you know, there have been different trustees for Hawthorne that have taken this up over time. <coughs> you know, I tried things a few while ago. Um, that not answer you? You know, things happen. <laughs> you know, so I know the last few years have been crazy, but even before I became a trustee, we had pledges, we had um, a, lot of, people a lot of different people trying, but you know, kind of getting to a point and then it just stopped and then the next trustees come in and just stop, stop, stops and now it's it's we're ready, you know, because we're getting frustrated a little bit, you know, right. we'd love to work something out. So I guess this maybe we're done with it tonight, but we could all meet another time soon and yep. make a solution. And I think every um, every situation is slightly different. Like you said, oh we have ten years left of the road, you know, we started asking for this to become part of public way, um, the roads were perfect. And now they're in the same condition as Hawthorne, because nothing's been done to Hawthorne either. And Great. When when we do the sewers, uh, what percentage do we expect the residents to pay versus the town? Is it isn't it something like ninety five five? Or I'm not sure what the betterments. What were the betterments? Yeah, it, it depended on the on the finance uh, structure of it. I'd have to go back and look, but different streets had different uh, percentage structure on them. Yeah. If I could ask one more question on Hawthorne to the point about well, it would make sense to update the you know the circles in sync with Hawthorne if between whatever time that happens and now is the issue really only snow plowing what is the actual practical impact of well yeah, oh. i don't think we're super concerned about the condition of the roads they're yeah. in good shape and we have looked after them but right i'd say the plowing there are curbs where the curbs are there mm -hmm. and, uh, what i'm trying to understand is if if there was some sort of thing that says oh it's it all comes over when it all gets synced up or if that was an answer i don't even know if that's a good answer but if that won't happen for 10 years because we're not redoing hawthorne as a practical matter in terms of what you'd be looking for is it really just snowplow well, so right now we don't know because we don't know where hawthorne sits on the priority right right, it's, right. It, just so to let you know it, it's not it's not it's not programmed into the next few years i'll, okay. I'll give you that right now so between so, now and whenever that happens are we really, is the real practical issue snow plowing? Yes. 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 Okay. Yes. okay. Sidewalk maintenance is how much? You guys just did the sidewalks on the loop roads. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I was just trying to get a sense of yeah. what, what is the real issue immediate, you know, the ongoing issue. If, if they were accepted roadways, it would make sense to mobilize for the whole subdivision. At, at the same time, right. um, yeah, right. bec because of because of what we're trying to do here, um, you know, the, the, it's all about the timing and what what we can develop as a as a matrix for this and okay. uh, see what can be done. All right, thank you. All right, Mo. Next, we have um, request to us to approve a contract with Environmental Partners for monitoring services at the former landfill. So this is our annual contract for landfill monitoring. It's uh, for groundwater and surface water. Landfill gas monitoring uh, for quarterly reports. It's uh, what we've had for, for many years since the landfill had closed. So, it, it, does this do anything that is this anything other than just routine compliance monitoring? It's, it's not, routine it's not setting us up to get not closer yet. to being able to do anything. <laughs> not yet. No. It's on our list. All right. Okay. Yeah. Any questions, Pete? 
Uh, no. Yes. All right. I move that we approve the uh, contract with Environmental Partners for monitoring services at the former landfill in the amount of $36,500. Second. All in favor? Yep. Aye. Aye. Opposed? All right. Next. Um, Thank you very much, Mom. Thank you. Thanks, both. Uh, to discuss Medfield State Hospital dog activity and dog walking. So, Christine, do you want to set us up here? I know we've all gotten... So you've received uh, an email uh, that there's been increasing issues at the state hospital. Um, we've been talking probably about two and a half years now about we were concerned about the number of dogs that were at the hospital. Um, and then you received an email from a woman who had been, uh, who had suffered a dog bite at the hospital and been knocked down. I think you've received actually several emails of similar uh, concerns. Um, so we thought it was important to talk tonight about where we're headed um, in terms of what we're going to do for dogs at the state hospital. I know you got bit too. <laughs> <laughs> the dog tried to bite me, but he only got my shorts, fortunately. So Scared. I knew you were a selectman. <laughs> You're just so fast, Pete. I mean, I was not that fast. <laughs> I'm not anymore. It's just become a, it's become a, there, there's so many dogs and uh, and uh, people are getting jumped all over all the time. And uh, I mean, the woman who sent the email to us from Longmeadow said that she just won't go there anymore, uh, unfortunately. And I think that there are a lot of people in town that feel that way, that it's not a safe place anymore because of the, the dogs that are they're supposed to be on the leash inside the quad. but. Nobody does that. Or, or well, it's hard to. It's very hard for us to enforce that because that's not the actual bylaw. Um, right. So it's hard to have the animal control officer or the police department to enforce that because the bylaw actually states they can be on leash or within voice command. Um, that's part of. So the I think I think we need a a new bylaw as well as some sort of maybe new rule for the hospital. Um, but somebody I think needs to sort of figure out what's the the best way to go forward up there. I have a dog. I've actually stayed with us yesterday afternoon for a while. Very chill. And to your, you just made a comment about uh, dogs if they come to recall. So I think it's unfortunate there are a few dog owners that think they have a great dog. And unfortunately, it is that dog that jumps and doesn't control. But I just walked up the other day with about six friends. There are about eight dogs, all very chill. Uh, everyone just walked along. There was no issue. So I, I hate to think that we're going to take a couple of bad apples and make the strict law when that is a very open area where um, it's, it's, it's just nice, especially when they went through with COVID, it's a great place to go walk. And, you know, I'm going to make a really bad analogy right now, but this is where it's like, okay, we, we, I don't want to pick and choose what we, what we try to find people on. If we left here right now and we walk down Pleasant, because I walk down Pleasant with my dog all the time, people park on the sidewalks. They don't park in the street. You walk around cars that are parked on the sidewalks and there's never a ticket and there's cars that are parked the wrong direction. And I know when I took driver's ed, you park in the, where the flow of the traffic's going. They don't do that. And, and I get it's a tight street and people need to park. I get it, but we don't, we don't, we don't flag for that. I, will, I would hate to see that we're going to flag people or find people for people that have dogs that can go on a nice walk up there and they're not bothering anybody. And it's a few bad apples that are now going to try to change the law for everybody or change the fees. I just would say that it would not be a great idea. Well, the current bylaw is leash or voice command. Voice command. Right. And isn't so it the question. only in the area that the, where the buildings are? But if you go back into the, the big loop that goes close to the trails, 
There's, you don't have that's, a, that's a change. That was a change that we made uh, in the spring. <laughs> that's a sign, not really about wow. a lot. So, <laughs> we put up a sign, but <laughs> put up about four signs. Yeah. There's no overnight parking in that lot, but yeah, that's why I like it. You have to have a leash if you're in the quad, basically. Right? Yeah, yeah, and that, and that was the result last spring i think it was of the the woman there's a group of women in their 60s and 70s that like to go up and walk the quad and this one report came in that said gee there's a i think she was actually a 70 year old woman dog wasn't even attacking her the dog just jumped up and jumped on her and knocked her over but if any of you have elderly parents you know how bad that can get if someone gets pushed over onto a, onto concrete and the, the idea the issue with the hospital is to your point that's great it's great for dogs but there's actually people we're getting reports from now that are saying including this most recent one that says you know i just don't feel comfortable with the dogs so i like to go walk a couple miles a day up there i love it up there uh but i I'm not comfortable going there anymore. So in other words, we're without really intending to, in order to make sure dogs have access to the hospital, we actually are driving real people out because they don't know, they, they're not prepared to deal with dogs off leash. And in this particular case, when I talked to her, I tried to say, well, did, you know, do you do 10 loops around the campus? And she said, well, no, I, I actually like to go out and do a two mile loop on the trail. And it's like, well, that gets harder. Um, you know, to patrol, to control, all of it gets harder. But which I think for me, my part, we're trying to find some balance. Uh, you know, Pete, you, you said that there's an, in, I don't know that there's an increasing amount that would be noticeable. Uh, actually, these incidents, as far as I can tell, are fairly rare, but that doesn't negate their importance. Uh, at least the cars on Pleasant Street don't come out and run you over. <laughs> But so it's, you walk it's, around them. It's, so if you if you don't want to walk on somebody's private, like the, yeah. the, you know, if a resident calls right. because somebody's walking on their lawn, that's trespassing. So to not walk on somebody's lawn, you're then walking on them. Yeah, my point is that ho the whole severity of that is completely different than a dog who knocks a seventy year old woman down <laughs> on a, on a concrete walk or drives someone else and just says, "Well, I don't use the hospital because uh, they don't control anything and people don't control their dogs and I'm not comfortable being out there." So. So I would contest that it's rare. I think it's very common. Um, in my experience being up there, that uh, I, I get jumped on by dogs all the time um, when I'm there, certainly. And, and uh, people are just... You have to keep those puppy biscuits out of your pockets. <laughs> yeah, it's like I've got to stop carrying hamburger, obviously. When, when, are you, when are you up there? Uh, like, I, I go up there periodically, and every time I check, nothing's going on. The only time I ever have had an incident with a dog was the cleanup day we had two, two, three years ago. And it was cause I was coming out of some bushes on the edge of the front of the building. And this guy had one dog on a leash and the other dog was loose. And that dog, because I was kind of emerging through the bushes, um, you know, just barked at me and then saw I had boots on and decided it'd stay out of range of my feet. But, um, well, I can tell you my personal experience was from running up there on weekends and uh, almost every weekend I would run, I would uh, be running and a dog would come running at me. My reaction to that is I don't know what you're going to do. So I stop mm -hmm. 
and, and then see what the dogs are going to do. Um, as I say, one of the dogs just went ahead and tried to bite me. <laughs> okay. Uh, At minimum, it's, it's interfering with your, your time, right? Oh, yeah. It, it, Personal it was, best is harder to achieve if you stop for dogs. Yeah, it, yeah. And yeah. clearly we had the ends. Of, well, we didn't have it. Dover had it, but the the girl who I think was the captain of their cross country team that got bitten by two dogs, what she was out running over on their land, got bitten, and because the owners didn't take responsibility, they never found the dogs, so she had to go through a rabies series. She missed she missed meats, she missed all sorts of stuff. So, we're, we're, you know, it's it's tricky. I don't know how. I don't see I can, those. Incidents I can relate very another, often, but. Nonetheless, we're getting reports of serious incidents that can't. And that was in Hospital Hill. It was in Hospital Hill. It was so you know, if you go out in the back of the hospital and you actually get over to the Dover side, oh, sure. it was over there. She was she was running one of the trails because she was cross country runner. I, I think the common theme is running. You need to you need to slow down a little bit. Dogs expect you to play. Instead of regulating the dogs, will ban <laughs> running. The I'll stick the email. You have to take out of the back of your pocket when you're running. But anyway, so so I mean, I, I walk at Wheelock. I just did a fun calculation. I've probably walked 4,100 times down mm -hmm. there. I mean, I've been down there for almost 10 years now, walking dogs, and and I, I've seen, you know, I've seen dogs get tagged by other dogs on occasion. I've seen my neighbor got taken out on an ambulance because a running dog hit her in the knee and blew out her ACL and some other stuff in her knee. I mean, things happen, you know? I mean, like, things happen driving a car. Things happen, you know, no, it, the, really, it really, you know, I, I have to say that, that in all my experience and seeing hundreds of dogs down there over the years, um, there is a level of self-policing that goes on with the dog walkers. I mean, we've had a couple of bad apples down in that area mm -hmm. um, with really just out of control dogs who had no business being down there. Um, and they were fundamentally shamed out of the, um, you know, out of the air and, and they disappeared. I mean, they just did not walk their dogs anymore. Um, you know, I think there's, there's some sort of community um, among the people who do walk the dogs. And, and I know, I mean, no dog, I don't care how good or how do you think they're under voice? I mean, there are, I watched deer bound across Wheelock at one time and all these dogs that supposedly always came with voice command were like, that's fun. And then they were off and back after the deer. Yeah, they, I think the hospital's a little different. Uh, the, the ones I worry, no, but there's like this group of ladies, the one that got knocked down, they go, they're in the quad. They just walk around the quad. Uh, so it's not like they're out bushwhacking somewhere. And, and personally, I think it's a shame if we let circumstances come where someone who probably who's at that age, who has the energy and the discipline to go do that. And we just kind of say, well, uh, uh, things happen. You know, uh, it's I'll, like, I'll say, too, yeah. is I've seen dogs on leash. Who, who are walking past other people mm -hmm. who will jump up on other people. I've mm -hmm. seen people go, well, if my dog has to be on a leash, here's a 40-foot leash. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've seen those leashes swipe people and take their legs out. You know, again, it really, really to me that with everything you try to put in place, you know, it, 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 I, it helps, but it also, you know, but, it does and doesn't. And, you know. But does Rocky I, Woods I, have the same problem? I, I I don't well, think so. Well, Rocky Woods is also. I know. That's why I'm asking thousands. the question. Yeah. 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 And I can tell you. Just get the microphones. The folks at home can. Sorry. Hear this. So 
For the record, I'm speaking way too much tonight. Steve Crookshank from Hawthorne. Um, longer, we're putting you on a committee. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've been going into Rocky Woods with dogs for 25 years now. More? 30? Since we got here in 94. I've had exactly two problems, right? And both of those times were because the, it was the same guy, and he clearly hated dogs and was threatening to my dog. Mm. Other than that, no problems. Thousands of times in there. So, so Pete, you had at one time when we talked about this before, but talked about possibly having people have to simply register in order to have dogs there. You know, literally, because it, it, we don't have the bylaw, we don't have the manpower, people power, whatever power to enforce the rules. So you can impose the rules, but nobody can just spend all the time up there. My thought is, accountability is the way to get there. One possibility for accountability was would be kind of like what Rocky Woods does. If you want to bring your dog up there, you got to register. Or the other thought for accountability was to have a public reporting, like a, literally a place where public reports can be made with clear instructions and a basic rule that says, if you know anybody, if you're in an incident with someone else, either a, if either person wants the report, you have to provide your, you know, your name, your address. So suddenly people realize they'll be held accountable for it. Yeah. So for even having time schedules, like this time is for dog walking. Uh, yeah, that might work. Yeah. Time is for yeah. Dogs right. Right. I was thinking of South of Hospital Road for dogs, and but you know, it's like where do you send the walkers? Where do you send the dogs? Everybody wants to be North Hospital Road from trails. You know, yeah. Yeah. We just don't have the ability to enforce that. Right, right. right. But if you right. have the signs and then people like will be like, oh, excuse me, this is just for you know, dog walking, you know, dog walking, but this is people only um, just a so, so one suggestion, you mentioned Rocky Woods. The way that they do it is they have on-leash zones and off-leash zones. Right. They're right. signed. Right. You, know, you go this way, you got to put your dog on a leash. Mm -hmm. You go this way, you can let him off the leash. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could do that up at Hospital Hill. You know, keep the quad. Okay, you got to be on the leash. Then the quads, quads. That's where we are now. Right. Yeah. Way back in the fields. Okay, you can yep. let him off the leash there. Yeah. The other thing that I think that the town might want to look into is how to deal with the uh, large number of, of uh, dog walkers, professional dog walkers that are using the site too. I know that some of them have been uh, reported as being very rude right. to well, other people. Part, yeah. part of my thought of professional dog walkers, if people had to register with the name and the name of their dog, then it would, professional dog walkers, they have different dogs all the time. It would, without kicking them out exactly, would probably they kick a lot. Limit, I think, on the number of dogs that they can have at any one time. I thought there was like a seven or eight kind of thing where they can't exceed that. It's mm. you know, a lot. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> I think yeah. there's some number somewhere or something okay. that they mm -hmm. can't exceed that, you know, what's considered reasonable mm -hmm. under control. You know, I mean, 20 right. dogs, you're just, I'm sorry. Yeah. And ju just as a contrast, for, from my perspective at least, the group that runs VizWiz, whenever those Vizlas are up there, those those folks, as far as I can tell, are totally responsible. Their dogs are nice. They're athletic. But I... I 
you know, part of what's influenced my thinking is I would hate to have that group not be able to take advantage of it. It's just that I don't want to have uh, people, you know, people that are just up there for exercise not be able to use it because we're being too lax. Okay. okay. Christine, anything else you need? No. So what, what we'll start. Do, we'll start working on some recommendations for the annual yeah. town meeting. Chief Garretta, uh, Chief when this first came up, I owed her a call, and with what's gone on in the last two weeks, I haven't been able. But so, if you've had talks with her, I think she had some viewpoints. She that, had some some okay. recommendations. Okay. Uh, Nick's had some suggestions about how we can deal with it okay. um, at the annual town meeting. Okay. Great. Great. Okay. All right. Next. Um, Good you. Yeah, good. <laughs> I'll be in touch about that committee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Vote to accept a grant in the amount of $25,000 in technical assistance from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts Downtown Initiative to support a wayfinding study in design for the downtown area and authorize town administrator to sign the standard state grant contracts. My question is, uh, what is wayfinding? Is that signs, Sarah? Those are, that is signage, and uh, that was also in our rapid recovery plan when they presented uh, for the downtown area. Okay, thank you. Let's get one for Park Street businesses. <laughs> Any questions, Gus? Done. Motion. Okay, I move that we accept a grant in the amount of $25,000 in technical assistance from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts Downtown Initiative to support a wayfinding study and design for the downtown area and authorize Town Administrator Christine Trierweiler to sign the standard state grant contract documents. Second. All in favor? Yes. Aye. Opposed? All right, next, vote to approve a contract with McKechnie Associates for fall cleanup services at the Midfield State Hospital. Any questions, Pete? 23,600, is it, I think? 500. 23,500. Gus, questions? No questions. Motion. I move that we approve a contract with McKechnie Associates for fall cleanup services at the Medfield State Hospital in the amount of $23,500. Second. All in favor? Yep. Aye. Aye. And by the way, and then there was one. <laughs> it all comes back to Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have a vote to authorize me to sign a mutual aid agreement for joint fire rescue and or ambulance service with the town of Sherburne. So just a, a little background on this. Obviously, we have mutual aid agreements with our surrounding towns. It was recently discovered um, by the fire chief in Sherburne and the fire chief in Medfield that that document did not exist between really? Medfield and Sherburne. So. Wow. Uh, we have honored it, obviously, and are continuing to honor it, but uh, we're going to put the formal document in place. Great. Motion. I move that we authorize the chair to sign a mutual aid agreement for joint fire, rescue, and or ambulance service with the town of Sherburne. Second. All in favor? Yes. Aye. All right. Next, vote to authorize Town Administrator Christine Truiler to approve and sign a license agreement with TCS U.S. Productions 9, Inc. for the use of Medfield State Hospital campus and buildings for filming. Did, have you have you by any chance heard back from Todd? Todd I, yes, I think we're. You talked to Todd. I had spoken to Todd, and I had reached out to Epsilon, who the town had contracted with to look at the broader tax credit implications, and just notified them that this work there would be a limited work taking place inside buildings, and they said um, that it's they every, were, we're, yeah. we're good. I, I, that was another concerned. that was another call that I didn't get to make over the last two weeks. Uh, okay, what are the details? I can't disclose all of the details yet. I can tell you the production company um, and they will be filming for three days in January, but they're going to need to prep the site from uh, most of the month of December. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of prep. And they're going to pay us. And they're paying us. Yes. And, and do we, can you disclose how much they're paying us? Uh, Not yet. 
I heard the word remediation in there. Close. All right, motion. Okay, I move that we authorize the town administrator, Christine Triawiler, to approve and sign a license agreement with TCS US Productions 9, Inc. for the use of the Medfield State Hospital campus and buildings for filming. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Next, vote to approve a parade permit for the Medfield Employers and Merchants Organization, Inc. For the annual holiday parade, scheduled for Saturday, December 4th, 2021 at 1 p.m., a parade which we have been invited to lead. Yes. Along with any other former selectmen who would like to join. Do we have any festive holiday uniforms that we can all... <laughs> We're a little out of practice. We haven't had this in a bit, so do we have a motion, Gus? I, I move that we approve a parade permit for the Medfield Employers and Merchants Organization, Inc., for the annual holiday parade scheduled for Saturday, December 4th, 2021 at 1 p.m. Second. All in favor? Yes. Aye. Aye. Opposed? All right, next, uh, board and committee appointments. Board of Water and Sewerage. Um, when it rains, it pours. We've had a vacancy on this board since July, and now we have two outstanding uh, candidates who have expressed an interest in joining the board. Um, and I'm very grateful to David Pucci and Claire Meehan for stepping up. Uh, the request is to appoint Claire to replace Randy Carg, which I think his term would run, the term would run through 2024. Is that correct? I believe that's correct, yeah. Right. So yep, he just finished in July. This would be the term uh, ending in 2024. And then Dave Pucci as an associate member, um, we have an heir and a spare. Um, and both will, I think, make a lot of valuable contributions um, as well. I see Dave. Dave, thank you for joining us in Zoom World if you're actually still listening to this. Um, any questions, comments, discussion from anybody? No. Pete? My only comment is that we're a very lucky town to have people who are so willing to volunteer actually file resumes with us to convince us that they meet our exacting standards <laughs> to work uh, on behalf of the town like this. And uh, as I read these two resumes, it's not the first time I've felt that way. But once again, I've sat there and said, wow, we've got some really great people that are willing to step forward. So thanks to both. And I think I mean, of, of all the boards to which we appoint people, this might be the most important. This is, um, yes, it needs that technical. Yeah. It's, uh, now, that we, now that we've got the Board of Health covered. Right, right. Well, yeah, the Board of Health as well. As it turned out, as, yeah, I, I think that's right. The Board of Health and the Board, it's a good point, guys. Yeah. But the, those two boards, the Board of Health and the Board of Water and Storage are probably the two most important ones. No disrespect meant to any other committees. But the overseeing the water system is really important. There's a lot of work to be done. And we're great, grateful to have two qualified people stepping up to join the two qualified people we already have on the board. So I want to start with a motion to appoint Claire Meehan as a full voting member of this. I move that we appoint Claire Meehan as a voting member of the uh, Board of Water and Sewerage. Second. All in favor? Yes. Aye. All right. And now Dave Pucci. And I move that we appoint David Pucci as an associate member on the Board of Water and Sewerage. Second. All in favor? Aye. Yes. Great. Thank you. That's great. All right. Next consent agenda. Four items on the consent agenda. The Medfield Lions uh, request permission to post signs for the Christmas tree sales at St. Edward the Confessor Church. Does not have dates on that. About dates they want those signs up there of the lions is it in the email they said they would post as soon as possible for two weeks for two weeks okay, okay. so just out of curiosity do they need do we grant given that they're doing it at st edward's church uh, they're asking for sandwich board sign approval sandwich from board. us advertising 
yeah. Okay. <clears throat> okay. The uh, Medfield Foundation requests permission to post signs for the Angel Run for one additional week from November 29th, 2021 to December 5th, 2021. We've been asked to sign certificates of achievement for Carl Andrews Erickson, Antonio P. King, and, and Jan Philip Passas for attaining the rank of Eagle Scout. And request to vote to approve a one-day beer wine license to the Zulu Gallery for their annual holiday exhibit first Thursday on December 2nd, 2021 from 5.30 p.m. to 11 p.m. Any questions, comments, adjustments on the consent agenda? Motion. I'll recuse myself from the Midfield Foundation one. Okay. Okay. I move that we, uh, you want me to do them separately? or Assuming I'll just, just recuse from the whole thing. Oh, okay. I move that we approve the items on the consent agenda. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? All right. All right. Meeting minutes. We don't have any. Um, yep, we're working on that. We're working on them. All right. Town administrator updates. I just want uh, to say a huge thank you to Marion Benaldi, our town clerk, Tracy Clank, our election warden, and all of the election staff for their incredible work, both at the special town meeting and the special town election. Um, they processed over 4,000 voters yesterday. It was steady from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. I was there for most of it, and they were still laughing and smiling at the end of the day. We are incredibly lucky uh, to have all of them. Uh, just huge thanks to them for the work they've done this last week. Um, next meeting dates right now it's December 7th for the tax classification hearing and December 14th uh, in December you're going to have a conflict on the 14th I'm out of town that's my first and last business trip of the year <laughs> do we want to do the 21st instead the 7th that, and the 21st that works for me if you're good with that I'm, I'm out from the 13th to the 15th so you could do it on the 16th too if for whatever reason we didn't want to get that close to the that's holidays right. but I, I'm not going anywhere <clears throat> Problem with the twenty first. Twenty first works for me. Nick, for you. I'm around. Bill, twenty first, good. I'll be here. That works for you. All right. <laughs> All right. So let's make it then the twenty first. <laughs> make it the seventh. You no overnight parking. And the twenty first. All right. Um, and if we have to add another one, we'll add another one, and we'll. Okay. Thank you. For, I appreciate it. Yep. Great. Okay. The other yep. Weigh in. All right. Uh, Selectman reports. Pete. Uh, held office hours. Had a lot of attendance. Uh, last friday um the uh, medfield food cupboard had me come and uh, read the uh, proclamation that declared medfield food cupboard day on november 9 at their annual meeting that day and it was very impressive to hear their report of what they've done over the past year they are a very well organized group uh, very impressive i've been to a couple of the uh, town of medfield climate action plan TomCap meetings to uh, draft the uh, climate action plan for the town. And uh, and that's going along well. Those are well-run meetings. And then the uh, Medfield Foundation uh, Legacy Fund Community Board that's in the process of doing grant, uh, grant uh, uh, awards has been meeting to, uh, to work that out. So that's should be getting announced soon, the winners of the grants. That's it. All right, Gus. Don't really have anything to report, I, uh, other than that there's already messages coming in from people who are willing to volunteer to help with the school project going forward from here. So I'll just note um, we were all there for the Veterans Day breakfast at the Council on Aging on Thursday. I thought it was it was great. It was great to have that event again mm -hmm. um, to be there with both of you and, and, and with so many um, uh, people we I hadn't seen over the course of. Um, 
uh, over the course of uh, the past year and a half, I, I ended up sitting with uh, Perry Constis at the at the breakfast and um, had a great discussion with him. And he, he was so uh, enthusiastic about having been at the special town meeting. He was uh, effusive in his praise for uh, how it was run and managed. He was so excited to see so many people there, especially so many young people there participating. And he said, you know, whatever you thought of the vote, he, he said it was a great day for democracy. And, and it was great to hear. Obviously, Perry's a great Medfield resident, longtime council and aging board member. So that was very, very heartening. And then I, I went with my my uh, 10-year-olds. We went up, I think those are the ones who came, went to the, um, the luminary lighting, the ceremony mm -hmm. in Baxter Park um, that evening, which is always... Uh, poignant, um, and uh, Frank Alafala did a great job taking over from Al Manganiello as the MC for that event. It, it's, you know, it gets a small crowd, but I always, I think it's always a special, uh, a special event. And you know, kudos to Michelle Doucette and her group for for organizing that with luminary bags and everything. It was really special, and uh, I know my my kids do look forward to it and remember it, and it does make an impression uh, on them. So thanks to everyone for that. Those were two great. On the on the veterans' breakfast, my sense was that uh, Roberta Lynch had uh, done a lot of the organizing for that. So I think that we owe her a debt of gratitude. I think our veterans agent as well uh, yeah. contributed mm -hmm. to that. Yep. Thank you to Roberta and to Mark Bryson for his first uh, Veterans Day as our, our veterans agent. So, all right. Anything else? All right. We'll entertain a motion to adjourn. I move we adjourn. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Aye.